This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. It'll be a day that'll be in the past. Tishbov Tavshin Peves. Who here can say the last year? We were sitting here and we thought it should be the last year. And now it's Tishavav, Tosh, and Pei Beis. For those of you, maybe this is your 10th Tishavav, your 15th Tishavav, you think, okay, how many more could we have? Those of us who are, maybe this is our 30th Tishavav, our 50th Tishavav, 70th Tishavav, at what point do we say, what's going to change? As the well saying goes, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting results, Definition of insanity, to use a nice word. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to go and sit here and try to make sure it's Taki the last one? And not just that we say every year, I really don't want to sit on the floor again, I really don't want to fast, I don't enjoy it. Following the advice, the halacha of the mechaber of Tevmat, Bahar Kavanas. I'd like to say, we'll say a few of the kinnis, as well try to give a feeling to them and what we're supposed to accomplish. And maybe we, the Yidin of Tavshin Peiveis, with our challenges, with our Nisyanis, that Kosh Baruch Hu gives us, we can use it to come home. Then again, Kippur, when we're davening for Mechila, and Kosh Baruch Hu wants to grant us Mechila, and the Malachim say, you're going to grant them Mechila? For what? And Hashem says, they did Shuva. And the Malachim say, what do you mean? They said last year they won't do Averis anymore. And they did Averis. Two years ago they said they won't do Averis anymore. And you forgave them, they did Averis again. Every year they say it. Every year you forgive them. And this from tell us that the Rebbein Shem looks at the Malachim and says, this past Pesach, my children had a Seder. And at the end of the Seder they said, Lashana Babi Yushalayim. And I didn't come through for them. But they said it last year also. They believed that they would come home. And I didn't come through for them. But they said it again. And they say it every year because they have that belief in me. I have the belief in my children. And that's what we're trying to accomplish over here, to come home. So how we get out of this, figure out how can we be the dar that we can end this. The Shulchan Aruch says the Torah adds that this applies to everyone, not just to men, but applies to women and to children. Everyone has to cry in this day, and it has to be a crying to get out of this. Why be crying? So we all know the Gemara tells us that Moshe Benu was going to send, Klaisa was going to go into Eretz Yisrael, and they came to Moshe and said, how are we going to get in? Let's send Meraglim. And Moshe agreed, they sent Meraglim, they came back and they said, they're so strong over there, there's no way we can get in. Even the Rabbi Yisrael himself can't get us in there. And the Yidin heard this, and they believed it, and they started to cry. Says the Gemara in Tainas, Aisa Yom Erev Tishabav Hayo. That day was Erev Tishabav, that now you cried for nothing, so I'll give you this generation something to cry about. Something we have to understand 
First of all, it didn't work. It's 2,000 years almost. At what point do you change it and say, this thing doesn't work, let me try a different approach? As well, it sounds like a spiteful father. The kid's crying, you hit the kid and he's crying, and you say, stop crying, and he's crying, it hurts. He says, you're crying, I'll give you something to cry about, and you hit him again. Is that the Rabbi telling us? You cried for nothing, I'll give you something to cry about. Rosham Shaval Hirsch explains on different emotions, he says, tears one of the highest emotions a person can have because tears are the sweat of the soul which means when a person has feelings, he expresses those feelings but when he can't express those feelings, they are expressed with tears a person can be very very happy and he's laughing, he's smiling he's laughing so much, tears start to come out why are tears coming out? because he's so happy he can't express it and vice versa a person is sad and he's very sad and he starts to cry, tears come out Tears are the sweat of the soul. Tears are when we can't express anymore. When the Yidin heard about the, what the Muraglam had to say, they cried. It would have been okay if they would have cried. Because what should have happened was, we have something called the Shtadlis. We have to do what we have to do. We live in this world, this world runs, we have to do our Shtadlis. But what happens when we finished our Shtadlis? And what we're trying to accomplish wasn't accomplished at that point we have two options we can say this is not going to work I tried, it doesn't work, I tried my best well, it doesn't work or you can say I tried, I did everything I can do and now it's only up to you there's no more stylus for me to, to do only you and that's what the Yidin were meant to say that night of Tishabov. yes, they are trained in war we're not, they are stronger, we are not but you said we should go in so that's it, we're going to go in we wasted our tears. We use this powerful emotion of tears for nothing. Said the Kaddish Baruch Hu, I will give you the opportunity to rectify that. And that is whenever we are going through something, and we try our best, and it doesn't work, we don't say, that's it, this whole thing's ridiculous, it's stupid, it doesn't work. But we rely completely on the Rabbi And that is how we are meant to rectify the tears. And that's what Kaddish Baruch Hu says, I'll give you the ability, the opportunity to rectify it to use our tears correctly. What does it have to do with Tisha B'Av? So Gemara tells us, that on a good day, good things happen, and on a fortunate day, unfortunate things happen, and that is Tisha B'Av. We know the destruction of the first base of Mikdash, the second base of Mikdash. The city of Beitar years later was destroyed, many even killed. You know, the Spanish Inquisition that started on August 2nd, 14, uh, 1492. And we know World War I, which was also August 2nd, 1914, which was, if not for World War II, we would speak about World War I, which destroyed our Messiah, moved everyone around. And that was the harbinger of World War II. And the truth is, everything that happens to cherish is Tishabov. That's why we're sitting on the ground today. And the question everyone asks, so what are we supposed to do? All the tzaddikim couldn't bring Mashiach. We just lost the tzaddik of Chaim Kanievsky. Last year, Tisha B'av, he was crying for Mashiach. It didn't come. Rabbi Feinstein was crying. Satmarov was crying. Chavetz Chaim. You can go all the way back. The Vashem, the Vilna they were crying. It didn't bring Mashiach. Rashi, Akadish, 
with crying Tishbev didn't bring Mashiach? The answer we all know is that they say there's a cup in Shemaim, and when it's filled with tears, when it overflows, Hashem will say, you rectified the tears, these are proper tears. And of course, the Rishayim already filled up the cup, and the Achrayim and the Tzadikim filled it up to the top, and we know that you can have a heaping cup of liquid, and you put in one more drop and it overflows. And that's what is required of us, to somehow squeeze out one genuine tear. And if we can squeeze out one genuine tear, then we can come home. You say the Chassam Seifer, every year, Erev Tishabov, he would close himself off in his room, Erev Tishabov, and wouldn't let anyone in. One year, one Talmud, he really wanted to see what his Rebbe was doing. He hid in the room and he watched. The Chassam Seifer sat on the floor, anticipation of Tishabov, and he would have his bread, he would have his ashes, and he had a cup. And he would cry, and he would cry copious tears. Hard to imagine, he filled up the cup of tears, halfway. And then he would dip his bread into the cup, and eat it, and he'd say, I've eaten my ashes like bread, and mixed my drink with tears. Years later, that Talmud had the schus of moving to Yisrael, and he found a hovel to live facing the Makam Migdash. And as Tishabov came, he remembered what he saw by his rabbi, the Chassam Seifer. He decided to do the same thing. He sat down facing the Makam Migdash. He had his kinnis, he had his bread, he had his ashes, and he had his cup. And no tears came. And he couldn't get out one tear. Couldn't get anything out. And only then he realized how far away he is from this, even though he's sitting by the Makam Migdash. And only then he started to cry. So if we don't know what to cry about, so that's what we have what to cry. But that leads us with the question, is it really true that none of us cried last year? After everything that happened? So what do we do? How do we go and we get out of this? All the tragedies, Kaisal experiences, but there are tragedies different family members, people with neighbors, they're all going through different things. So our challenge is, Hashem doesn't want us anymore to run to Hashem because we're running away from something else. For the past 2,000 years, Kleisel had it, that of course we wanted Mashiach, because when a Yid would walk out of the house in the morning, he didn't know if he was coming home at night. Yidin were dispensable, they didn't count. And of course we would run to the Bani Shalom because we're running away from what's going on. In our generation, the Baruch Hu said, you know what, don't worry about the game anymore. We can do what we want, we can daven where we want and when we want, we can go to work how we want, we can do mitzvahs, we can learn Torah, we can do tzedakah and chesed. And Hashem says, now that everything's good, I still want you to come to me. Finally, we can run to the Bani Shalom not because we're running away from anything. We can finally run to the Rabbi Shalom because we want to run to the Rabbi Shalom. And that's what we need to do. The problem is sometimes we think, you know what? Okay, my neighbor has a problem. I'll daven for him. This person has a problem. I'm fine. And Baruch Hashem, a lot of people are fine. Chaisel is a big secret today, Baruch Hashem. There's a lot of tsaras, but a lot of people are doing well. Chaz Hashem. But it could be so much better. 
Rabbi Sol Salanta in his later years used to travel around. He was once in London. And a lady a no, from the noble family, from the royal family, wanted to speak to Rabbi Salanta. So she makes an appointment, she comes to speak to him. And she says, you know, she was married for many years and they had no children. Finally they had a child, a little boy. And she starts to explain how she brings up her little boy. He walks around with a butler and a maid. There is nothing that this child wants that he doesn't get. He has to think he wants a cup of water and there's a cup of water in his hand. If he drops something, he never has to pick it up, it's picked up right away. So so Salanta asked her, says, tell me, what happens if your son needs to sneeze? He says, he takes out his handkerchief. He says, but let's say he puts his hand in his right pocket to take out the handkerchief and it's not there. It's in his left pocket. How do you prevent him from that suffering? So she looks at him and says, Rabbi, you're making fun of me. He'll stick his hand in his other pocket. What's the big deal? Later on, he saw Salanter said over this conversation, he would cry. He would say, the Gemara tells us in Erechen and Tazayin, the Gemara says, what's considered Yisurin from Hashem? Because we know that we receive Yisurin in this world, so we shouldn't receive anything in the next world. So the Gemara says, what's considered Yisurin? How, how little is called suffering? So the Gemara says, well, if somebody buys clothing and they don't fit, now he has to go and return it and get other clothing, that's considered suffering. The Gemara says, no, it's even less than that. Somebody wants a hot drink and it's cold. Or he wants a cold drink and it's hot. The Gemara says, no, it's even less than that. Somebody puts on a shirt and it's inside out. He has to take it off and put it on again. The Gemara says, no, it's even less than that. He sticks his hand in his pocket. He wants to take out a dime and he takes out a quarter. <laughs> Rashi says, what, what's that? Like, what's, he says, what do you mean? He has to stick his hand in his pocket again to get out the dime now. That's considered suffering. Says the Yisrael Salanter. He says, if we can make the world, we will make a perfect world. So Kaddish Baruch Hu could make a world, he did make a world, and he made a perfect world. If he made a perfect world, why is there any suffering? He says, that's for the Yisurin. As a benefit for us, we shouldn't have to suffer for our various to the next world. If that's the case in a perfect world, we would never stick our hand in our pocket to take out a dime and a quarter would come out. It would be perfect. We would never, if we would sneeze, we would never stick our hand in the wrong pocket to take out a handkerchief. Anybody uses them anymore. Because that would be a perfect world. That means as good as someone may have it today. <clears throat> it could be so much better. It could be perfect. To get down to the little silly things, you would never make a coffee and, and pour a milk that's spoiled. You would never open up a, a bottle of salt and it would be flat. Nothing. Because there's Karaj Baruch who loves us. And he makes a perfect world. And he wants us to live in a perfect world. But he has to clean it for us. And that's why he's so slant to cry. The problem is we can get used to it. We can get used to living in this world like this. We'll, 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 we'll give a sigh when we hear something. And if it's closer to us, we'll cry something. But we get used to it. Pian used to say a person can get used to anything. In his later years, he moved to Eretz Yisrael. And he was there for two days and he was shocked. He saw somebody clearing his throat and spitting on the ground. He thought to himself, what? In Eretz Yisrael, you're going to spit on the ground? Admas Kaidish, you're going to spit on the ground? And it bothered him and it bothered him and it bothered him for five months. 
until one day he caught himself clearing his throat and spitting on the ground. A person can get used to anything. Rashol Sadran said over once, he was coming home, and he saw people running. He said, what's going on? And nobody wanted to stop to tell him. So he starts to go in the direction of where the people were coming to see what's going on. And he starts to get closer. Someone tells him, there's a terrible smell, you got to get out of here. And he starts to smell a bad smell. He says, wow. And he starts to walk closer. And the smell is getting worse and worse. He says, where's such a bad smell coming from? And he turns the street, and he sees down there, there's a sewer, and the sewer's open. So he feels, maybe we'll go, we'll close it, something, it's a terrible stench. He walks closer, and he hears sounds. He walks closer, and he looks down. There's three Arabs there. They're working on the sewer. But it was lunch break. So they're sitting in the sewer with their hummus and their pita, and they're eating lunch. And Shalom Shadron said that one of the most important lessons he ever learned in his life. A person can get used to anything. We can be sitting here in the stench of Gaulus and say, yeah, it's not so bad. It's time to eat lunch. It's good. Without realizing how much better we can have it. So what do we do? Yes, we're supposed to cry for something that happened 2,000 years ago. Try to envision what we're missing. What could we do? What could we really do to stop it? There's a penetrating medrash, medrash Eichor Abbasi, Aleph Chof Aleph. Belel Tishabov, Nichnas of Ramavinu Lebeisa, Kedesh HaKadoshim. It was the night of Tishabov, and of Ramavinu was inside the Kedesh HaKadoshim. Achazu HaKadosh Baruch Hu Biyadai. Kedesh Baruch Hu sees him there. So he takes of Ramavinu by the hand. Vavim Mital Boy, Aruchai Zukitzarais. He starts to walk with the Ramavinu up and down the Kedesh HaKadoshim. He's taking a walk. After a few minutes, What is my beloved doing in my house? So nice he came to visit. Anything I can do for you? Omar, Avramavina says, Rebaini, my master, Bonai, my children, Hefenheim. It's so quiet in here. Where are my children? Omar Lei, Baruch says back to Avramavinu, Chatu, they sinned. And I exiled them among the nations. So Ramavina looks at Hashem, startled. Omar lay, lehoyu behem tzadikim. Were there no tzadikim among them? We know that Ramavina tried this for Sadaim. 50, 45, 40. For his own children, for sure. There are no tzadikim that could have saved my children. And Kozboch's response, Omar lay, he tells him, Hoyusmechim they were happy, they rejoiced at the downfall of their fellow brothers and sisters. And therefore, they had to be sent out. Avram Avinu's response is nothing. What type of response could you have? They were happy in the downfall of one another. How could that be? So how are we going to stop that? Let's listen to what Hashem tells us. Hashem knows. Let's listen. It says Yerushalmi and Peah. Mishnah Aleph, Allah Aleph. Mutav, Lahamid, Tselem, Behechel, Milaharbais, Machlaikis, Be Yisrael. Mutav, Lahamid, Tselem, Behechel. Says Hashem, I would rather have a Vaidazar in the Kedesh HaKadoshim, Milaharbais, Machlaikis, Be Yisrael, than having Machlaikis among my children. I would rather have an Avaidah Zara in the Hechel than have a Chalikis among my children. 
Which parent doesn't feel that way? Which parent would rather his children do something wrong, but do it all together, than for his children to do the right things, but not have much to do with each other? Every parent would rather the children get along. That's all they want. We know that the physical is only a dogma of the spiritual. And that's what a Kajbar wants. I would rather have a Salem and a Heichel than not have my children fight. And therefore, what we have to do is we have to change these terrible words. Take out one word, this word, to change it to. Hashem should come to Avram and says, Avram, I am filling up the base of English because your children are happy with one another. And that's what the Rabbanisha wants to see. Everyone knows famous words that Klaizim Rebbe said in this Chumashir, this famous Chumashir on a Friday night that he gave Pasha Shemais. He one time said, How I miss, how I miss the Holocaust. On the death march, we were walking one next to the other, all shaven, our heads, our faces. Nobody knew the person next to him it was a Hasidish, Litvish, Frum, Fry, didn't know anything about him except that he was his fellow Yid. And we would put our arms around each other to give each other chizik and to warm each other. He said, ah, that's what I miss about the Holocaust, the Klezmer Rebbe said. Why does it have to be that way? Why does it have to be that only in times of Tsaris we get together? HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I want my children to be together, to be happy, to be together. To be happy with one another. So how do we do that? It's true that we're passionate about our Yiddishkeit, as we should be. We should be mocked in every halacha, every sharet seen in the Mishra we have to be very careful with. But that's our business. When we see our fellow Yid, we have to see the Nikudah Taiva and somehow work it out that we have love for our fellow Yid, as the Kodesh Baruch Hu has. Because the Kodesh Baruch Hu doesn't only want some of us back. He wants us all back. We are His children and He wants us all back. And we can go home and do all sorts of things and working on ourselves. But if the result of all the work we do on ourselves does not result in smechem elu alelu, to be happy with one another, it's an exercise in futility. It won't work and we're going to be back here next year. We can do it. Look at a place like here. Everyone here is welcomed. Everyone here is embraced. Everyone here is welcomed and loved and cherished. This really how it has to be. The Gemara Tainus, the last Gemara Tainus, says an amazing thing. Omer Ula, Biro Omer Bilazar. Osir Akadish Barhu, Lasis Mokhalat Sadikim. Akadish Barhu at the end of the time will make a circle of the Sadikim. Vuhu Yeshu Beinehim, Begin Aden. And Akadish Barhu will sit inside the circle. Vikol Echad Vechad Mehem, Mar Beetzbay. Every one of the tzaddikim will point with their fingers to the middle of the Omer and say, This is the Hashem that I served. And all this forum asks, What do you have to tell me they stand in a circle for? Just tell me the tzaddikim will have the schools to point to Hashem and say, This is the Hashem that I served. What's wrong if they stand in a straight line? Different, different Shatim, Rav Tzaddik, and Parshish Kayach, and Preet Tzaddik writes that in your circle everyone's equidistant. Nobody should think he's closer to Hashem than somebody else. And therefore, they're in a circle. But there's something else with a circle. What's with the pointing? Why do I have to point? 
in the circle. When a person standing over here points this way, so I'm pointing to the south, pointing to Hashem, but I'm also pointing to the south. So on the other side, he's pointing to Hashem, but he's pointing towards the north. And the person on the east side, he's pointing to Hashem, but he's pointing to the south. And the same with the person on the south, which means everyone's pointing to different directions, but everyone's pointing to Hashem. And that's how it is with us. Every yid has his own derech to serve Hashem. But they're serving Hashem. And that's what we have to look at. Not look so much that he's pointing to the south, but look that he's pointing to Hashem. And that gets pointing to the north. No, he's pointing to Hashem. And if we do that, we get to be in that circle. We get to come home. Because of what value is the base of Migdash? If there's a Tzalem inside, Hashem doesn't want that. He wants us all to come home and not to have Machlaikas. So now we know what to do. How do we do it? How do we do it? We obviously have to pledge to ourselves that we won't have any sinaskinum. Before we start to say the kinas, we have to realize that we cannot have sinaskinum. No matter why, no matter who, we can't have sinaskinum. So how should we do this? Once again, let's learn directly from the Rabbi Yisraelim himself. Someone showed me this week a Medish Rabbah and Parshish Noyach. We know Shem tells Nerech to take the animals onto the Teva, seven of the kosher ones, and two of the not-tahar ones. We learn from there to speak cleanly. He didn't want to say traits, so not kosher, not tar. But the Medish says something else. The Medish says, when it came to the camel, Hashem tells Nerech, of the camel, take two, because it chews its cud. Of the chazir, take two, because it has split hooves. And you would think it should be the other way around. Take two of the chazir, because it doesn't chew its cud. Take two of the camel, because it does not have split hooves. And the Svarim explain, Hashem is teaching us, always look for the good. Yes, it's true, the chazir does not chew its cud, but it has split hooves. It's not kosher, it's true, but it has split hooves. You can only take two of it. True. But it has split hooves. Look for the good. And the Rabbi Hashem is telling this to us, for animals, how much show for people? And if it's true for people, how much is this true for our fellow Yidin, our fellow brothers and sisters, to go make sure we find the good? Only the good. Nayak and his children were the progenitors of the world. And that they had to know. That was a lesson they had to learn. So how can we make our Father proud of us and to show that we love each other? At the start of the Yom Kippur War in 1973, Rabbi Solmeir Lao, at that time he was the Rav of Tel Aviv. And as soon as Yom Kippur was over, he rushed to the hospital in Tel Aviv, Ichalov it was called. Ichalov Hospital was specializing in the burn unit. And unfortunately, a lot of tanks were getting hit. And the tanks, they're, they're a burning pit. Never for the soldiers inside. And they're helicoptering soldiers after soldier. At one point, there were 475 burnt soldiers in the Ikhlaf hospital. And Ravla went there to see what he can do. Normally, he's a spokesman, but no one needed that now. So he went and said, what can I do? He said, go comfort the soldiers. So he went from room to room trying to comfort these soldiers who had burns on them. He walked into one room, there were four soldiers, all moaning and groaning, and one of them was screaming and yelling. And the doctors were trying to calm him down, they gave him morphine and another shot of morphine, and he was yelling from pain. 
and the doctors were telling him, try to be calm, it will be better for you, and he couldn't calm down. And Rav Lau looked at him, and this soldier was burned from head to toe. Every part of his body was burned. They couldn't touch him. He was in terrible pain, yelling and yelling. And Rav Lau tried to speak to him, and nothing worked. He went to the next room to try to comfort him. In the next room, about 15 minutes, the, the yelling is going on the whole time. And after about 15 minutes, the yelling stops. And Rav Lau realized, he sees the shaman probably. He runs back to the room, and he sees the soldier on the bed, lying, sleeping peacefully. He looks at the doctors. What happened? The doctors point to a lady sitting by his bed. It was his mother. His mother came, and she sees her son, but she couldn't do anything with him. He was burnt from head to toe. But she found a little spot about three inches by three inches on the back of his knee, the only part of his body that was not burned. And she started to caress that part of the body and said, it's okay, mommy's here. It's okay, mommy's here. And he immediately relaxed and he fell asleep with all the morphine that he had. Siddha Bilal, later on, he realized the Pasuk in Yeshaya, how will it end? How will the Churban end? How will the Golas end? Ki'ish asher imay tinachamenu just as a mother comforts her child so too will Hashem comfort us how does a mother comfort a child she doesn't give up she looks and looks and looks for the part that she can help she sees her son burnt from head to toe there's nothing no she looks she finds she found a little part behind the knee that she could caress and that calmed him down and that's what we need to do we see our fellow Yid. Maybe he's burnt from head to toe. There's nothing good in him. Look, you'll find every Yid this Hashiv, full of mitzvahs, like a remind. Find and you'll f- look and you'll find. You think this doesn't apply by Averis? Rav Mendel Kaplan Zatzal, who was a well-known Rebbe in, in Yeshiva in Philadelphia, before he was a Rebbe there, he was a Rebbe in Skokie, Illinois. At one time, there was Israeli bonds dinner. Unfortunately, this dinner was not done under Hashkocha. They were serving tarfas and seafood, and it was mixed dancing. It was not a place for a yid. But that's where all the yidin came. The guest of honor at that time was David Ben-Gurion. And Kaplan shows up. Rav Mendel Kaplan shows up in his rabbinical garb, with his hat, his long jacket. And there was a very wealthy philanthropist there, and he sees him. He says, oh, Rabbi Kaplan. What are you doing here? Now this person was a supporter of the yeshiva. He knew Rabbi Kaplan. He said, you didn't come here to partake of the delicacies. You definitely are not here for the mixed dancing. I can't imagine you came to say hello to David Ben-Gurion. What are you doing here? And he looks at him and he says, I came here to watch how the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov line up to give tzedakah for the benefit of their brothers and sisters. That's what I want to see. He could have come there and say, what a serving tarfus and mixed dancing and terrible things that are going on. But you know what? They were buying Israeli bonds to help the Yid in Eretz Yisrael. And the Kaplan said, that's what I want to see. Which means, you can always find an Akuta Taiva in somebody. What people do wrong, leave that between the Rabbi Yishlam and that person. They'll have their own Cheshbainas. But our job is to get along with our brothers and sisters, not to have any sinaschinam, to only see the good. And not chas v'shalom, to have the word mepilasom. If we take that pledge, no matter why, no matter who, no sinaschinam, under any circumstances, much better chance we'll have not to be here next year.
The first kin we'll be saying is kin of Vav. A lot of the kinnis were written by Rav Lazar Kalir. Who was Rav Lazar Kalir? Different opinions. Some say he lived in the second century. The son of Hashim by Yechai. The Rashba writes it was Rav Lazar ben Aruch. This kin of kin of Vav, the first of the kinnis, is based on Echo. The kinnis starts Shavas. Everything came to a standstill. The Yidin were shell-shocked. They lived with a base of Migdash, they lived with a Melech, they lived with Kahana, with Levim, and now, they have nothing. They, they were shell-shocked. Shavas, everything came to a standstill. And similarly, you speak to people who lived by the Holocaust, they tell you, oh, what life was before the war, and what life is now. It's not the same. That's what the Mishnah that's what the Kinnah says, Shavas. Continue, Suru Meni Shimunu Ivrai, Sikhim Ai Sishmeni Badre Khavrai. Turn away from me those who, who send me out among the other nations. Aini Khiksa the Khazim Ben Barakya, I cry for the Navua of Khazim Ben Barakya, the Navua from from him how it was uplifting the voice, and now look what happened. The Nomalaila Nibakhe over these things I cry. What are these things? I should cry over the Khurban. What are the, what's plural? So Mezrach tells us, referring to the, all the people who were killed for the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, for the abolition of the Kuhuna and of the Karbanis, and the cessation of Limitaira, which led to the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, and ultimately to our lives without the Shekhinah among us. The Kinnah continues, Apnei Paras Naftucha by the, by the Euphrates River, we were mutilated. What happened was, as we were walking over there, the Buchanetzer was sailing by and he sees people walking. He turns to his officers, who are those people? He says, oh, those are the Jewish prisoners. He says, those are the Jewish prisoners. Oh, tell them to play their instruments for me. Their instruments, these are the Levium. Tell them to play their instruments for me. And when the order came that they should play their instruments... The Levim immediately went and bit off their thumbs. So they should not be able to play for the Buchanetzer. The Kinnah continues going through all the things that happened. We cry out for relief, but they crushed me. And there the Medrash explains, while we were traveling, they fed us pebbles to eat. Now who feeds somebody pebbles? No one's going to eat pebbles. No matter how hungry you are, you're not going to eat pebbles. What happened was, Hashem told Yechaskel to tell Yisrael to prepare kalim, to prepare pots and pans, because they're going to be kicked out. And hopefully they'll prepare the pots and pans, they'll realize what's going to happen. But nobody listened. And now they were traveling and traveling, and finally they were given the opportunity to stop. They had some flour with them, but they had nothing to bake it in. And they had to dig a hole in the ground, put the flour and water inside and mix it. But of course, when you do that in the ground, the pebbles come, and the bread was full of pebbles. Yet to continue, the, <coughs> the kinnah continues at the end. So, Ram look at your nation. look at what has happened to us. And that's how we begin our, the kinnahs. And what happens? The person comes and he's still not ready to cry. So we'll end with this. The Gemara tells us that Hashem has a place called Mistarim, a hidden place. And he goes inside these mistarim and he cries for the Chorban, he cries for the children. The Gemara says, Hashem cries? 
it's possible says Hayid v'hadar l'fanov Ayiz v'chevem m'kaymai Hashem doesn't cry says no Habibava Habibavrei this is on the inside this is on the outside and the inside Hashem cries and the outside He doesn't cry then the Pasuk says really? the Pasuk says Vayikra Hashem Hashem Tzavakis B'yemuhu L'v'nei L'mispar Hashem cries out so you see He does cry so the Gemara says that's only once a year when He cries for the Churban and He says to His friends come cry with Me and Ramesh Shapiro explained everybody has different friends this is a friend you go to work with this is a friend you have a good joke you tell him. This is a friend you drink with. And sometimes a person is a friend he cries with. Hashem says, cry with me. Cry with me. And if we think of what there is to cry, the grace of Hashem, of Nasan Tzvi, Zatzal, Susi Yagalainu, the Talmidim knew when they needed something, they can come to the Rashiva and he would be there with them. In the last year of his life, he was so weak, he generally was lying on his couch. And people would still come in. And one time a Talmud came inside to him and says, Rebbe, he says his wife is very ill. And Rebbe was lying over there. He says, Rebbe, could you please daven for me? Daven for her. And he saw Rebbe's mouth was moving a little. He couldn't hear him. He says, we all did. We, we stuck, he stuck his ear by his mouth to hear what the Rashiva was saying. And Rebbe was mumbling. He says, I have no kayach. You daven and I'll cry and that's what he did he davened and the Rashiva cried for him he said if we can't get this feeling of what's going on we can cry because the Baruch is crying Kosh Baruch is crying for what we're missing over here just to end off what that means there's a person who used to have a lot of people by his place for Shabbos and he used to go around asking people everyone say something that they're grateful for at one time, there were standard things. People once said, I'm grateful for my health. And other person said, I'm grateful for my parnasa. I'm grateful for my spouse. Different things. And one came to one lady and she said, I'm grateful to be here by the table. She says, what do you mean? She says, well, I just recently discovered Shabbos. It's only a few weeks now. I'm grateful to be by the table, by the Shabbos table. And the fellow said to himself, wow. Can you imagine a person has a table with 12 settings? And he comes to the table Friday night, there's only 11 of his kids there. One of the children left the fold, he went off. And the next week he comes, there's only 10. And ultimately he comes to the table, there's only two children left. And the two children say, Tom, happy to be here. And what does the father think to himself, I'm so happy that you're here. But where are my 10 other children? Look what's going on, we're going through goals with two of the 12 Shvatim. Rebunshalom cries out on this night because he wants everybody back. And if we can't cry for ourselves, at least we should cry for the Rebbein Shleif. It's a kinavov. Shavas, basuri,
Next kin will be saying is kin Yud Aleph, the Ukrainian Yol Yeshio. Other than Megillus Echa, this is the most important one we kin we're going to say because this is the kin written by Yemiyo Navi himself. Echa Eli Kreinim Elav, but Shmuel Shon Echa Lidrash Melekov. In a moment, we'll, we'll, we'll explain the kin inside. But this is a kinna, Yeshio is crying, Yemiyo is crying over the death of King Yeshio. While the death of any Yid is tragic, the death of the king is tragic. Why do we have a kinna just for one person when so much happened? As we'll see, this kinna was the last kinna to prevent the destruction of the base of Mikdash. A little introduction to Yemiyahu. Yemiyahu Navi became a Navi when he was 15 years old. Because Baruch comes to him and says, Yemiyo, you're going to be a Navi. And Yemiyo says, me? He says, I'm a little boy. I'm a Nar. I, I can't be a Navi. And Hashem says, don't say you're a Nar. You're going to be the Navi. He says, I don't know what to say. Don't worry, I'll teach you what to say. And Yemiyo, in the 13th year of Yeshio's Malchus, became a Navi. And he said over Navua <coughs> for 18 years during his reign, and then again until the Hurban, another 22 and a half years, which means Yumiyo said Nevoah for 41 years almost, 40 and a half years, 41 years almost altogether, all on one topic, the destruction of the base of Mikdash. And for 40 years he was saying it, for 40 years nobody listened, as we'll see a little later by the Kino. And as we said last night, he says, I am the one who had the misfortune to see the Nevoah come true. Every other Navi just got to say it, and I had to see it. This, is what, this was Yemiyo. And when Yeshio died, he cried, because this was the last opportunity to prevent the Khurban. What happened? The death of Yeshio started off that there was King Menashe. Menashe was a terrible king. Menashe wanted not just to do Avayda Zara, but to bring Avayda Zara throughout Eretz Yisrael. And he was very successful. He brought Avayda Zara everywhere. Ultimately, towards the end of his life, he did tshuva, and he tried to stop it. But it was so ingrained, he couldn't stop it, as we'll see soon in the kinna. And ultimately, when he died, his son took over, his son, Amin. Amin was a terrible person. And he was such a bad person that his own guards assassinated him after two years. And his son now took over Yeshio. Yeshio was eight years old at the time, and he became the king. He was a little boy. And then, after a few years, there started to be a Hirachua. What happened was that Yumiyo's father, Yumiyo was a Kayan, his father, Hilkio, was a Kayan Gadol. And he was cleaning the base of Migdash, and they found the Sefer Torah. According to many opinions, they did not have any Sefer Torah, they were destroyed. According to the, this kind of, the, 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 the opinion this kind of they had, the no Sefer Torah, and they found this one, and he opens it up. And it opened up to Dvarim Chavches Lamed Vav, Or Asher LaYakim Asad Divrei Teira Zayis Lasis Aisam. Cursed is he who does not fulfill the words in this Teira. And he went and he brought it to the king to Yeshio, and Yeshio saw this. He says, Aleinu LaHakim. Well, I'm going to fix this. We have to fix this. And he went on a campaign to eradicate Avodah from Eretz Yisrael, and he did a tremendous thing, bringing Tshuva to Klai Yisrael. And it was a big job because Avedazar was so ingrained in everybody. And he was working very hard to do it. And as we see in the Kinnah, the Kinnah tells us who was he? 
He was so great, there was no one like him until Meishu Rabbeinu. Avigdar, Meishu Rabbeinu. That's how great he was because he was bringing Klaiso to Tshuva. But what happened? Davag Baychet Litzanim Hadar. The Litzanim, they clung to the Vaydazara. Ultimately, what happened was Pare Nechai came and he said, I want to go and I have to fight Amin. I need to travel through Eretz Yisrael. I'm not going to fight you, I just want to travel through. And Yeshio said, no, you can't come through. Why can't you go through? Because the Apostle tells us in Vayikra, the sword will not go through. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, there'll be no war. Even a sword won't go through your country. We're doing tshuva, and therefore you can't come through. And Pine Vice says, what do you mean? I, I just want to come, I'm not fighting with you, I just want to walk through. And he said, no. Your Miyahu told them, he says, you're making a mistake, Yeshio. Yes, Klaiso is doing well. Yes, you're bringing us to Tshuva. But we're not there yet. Let him come through. And what did he do? He says, no. He went to a different Navi. He went to Chulda. And he says, well, one Navi doesn't let. Same today, right? One Rav doesn't give you the psak you want. There's always someone else. And the other Navi said, no. The Navi Chulda Navi said, no. Don't let him through. And Yeshio did not let him through. And Pari said, if you don't come, if you don't let me through, I'm going to fight with you and not with them. And as the Kinnah tells us, what happened was, they took a Vaidazara and they were placed it inside their houses on the doors, and they would slice the Vaidazara in half. So when the guards came in to search, they would open the doors, look around, there's no Vaidazara. And then when they would leave, the doors would close, and they had their Vaidazara. And therefore, Pari, he starts to come through. He starts to come through, and as they're going through, Yeshio still did not allow them just to go through. He says, no, we're going to fight you. And he came to fight. And what happened was, the king, Pari says to his soldiers, throw arrows only at him, at Yeshio. And he threw arrows at him. And as the kinnah tells us, 300 arrows went into him. So many arrows, he was like a, like a sif. So many holes. However, Arrow after arrow pierced him. But finally, at the end, Ruach Sephas of Hiftsu a breath came out of his mouth, Sadiku Hashem Kimarisu Pihu. Hashem is the righteous one. I disobeyed what he told me to do. And that's what he said with his last breath. As a schus, for at the end recognizing Hashem that he was wrong, we got to have the base mission another 22 years. But that was then after that it was destroyed. And that's why Yermio was crying, because if not for that, if he would have listened, and he would have allowed Parayin, then the Beisimish could have been saved still, because Klaisa was doing tshuva. What we see from this kinna is, of course, to listen to the Das Torah, to the Navi tells you, when the Rav tells you, but also to lost opportunity. People have opportunities throughout their life. And how painful it is later on when they realize they lost it. Someone, a Bachar, once came to Zekalena Rebbe, he said, Rebbe, I have, I have problems. He said, I have problems with, with Kedusha. I have problems with bad thoughts that I'm having. So he tells me, you should learn. He says, I try to learn, but it doesn't help. So he looks at me and says, Yunga Bachar, he said, you should live long and be well. But there will become a time like everyone else, you'll be at the end. Probably you'll, you'll be in a bed somewhere with machines attached to you. At that point, you should think to yourself, what did I do? 
Make sure you don't have any charata. That's what we say in the Pasuk. Yauzu chasidim b'chavayid, yiranam al-meshkavaysam. The chasidim should praise you, they should exalt you while they're lying on their bed. Who davens while they're lying on a bed? Said this Galena Rebbe, it's talking about someone who's ill, and he's able to praise Hashem. Why is he able to praise Hashem? Because he made the right decisions in his life, and now he's not scared. He says, Yunga Bakr, think of that day, and you'll make the right decisions. How important it is for us to make the right decision. How do we know if we make the right decision? We're constantly making decisions. After you make a decision, how do you feel? There was a person a little while ago, he went to Eretz a few years ago, and he got into a cab to go somewhere, and there was terrible traffic. And he looks at the ways, and he sees that the ways gave one time, but the way this driver was driving, they were getting there quicker. So he tells the taxi driver, he says, no, you're a good taxi driver, you're, you're beating the ways. He says, yeah, sure. He says, how do you know the streets so well? So we know when you get into a taxi near Yisrael, it's not just a ride, it's an event. Right? He tells you your name, and he'll explain to you why if the Prime Minister would listen to him, he can solve all the problems. He says, well, you want to know how, uh, how I know the streets? He says, I used to, I'm driving now a taxi for six months. He says, six months? Six months? You know every little shortcut? He says, well, before I was a taxi driver, I was a police officer. And I was on patrol. He says, you're driving, a, a, you're a police officer, and now you're driving a taxi? He says, it's a long story. He says, you want to hear it? He goes, sure. He says, okay. He says, I was a police officer for almost 29 years. One day, the radio crackles. There was a robbery in a monastery. Today, around Beit Shemesh, Baruch Hashem is being built up. There are a lot of mountains over there, all being built up. But in one of the mountains, there's a monastery. Unfortunately, it's still there. In this monastery, the monks who lived there supported themselves. Some of them, they were artists, they would do paintings, and they would sell it. Somebody broke in, stole their paintings, and they wanted to file a police report. So these two guys, he was me and my partner, we started to drive, it's a long ride up. As we're driving up, I realized, I, I can't go inside a church. Okay, good, I have a partner. They pull up to the monastery, turns off the engine, and he's sitting there. So he turns to his partner, he says, okay, go take the report. So the guy says, I can't go inside, I'm Jewish. So I looked at him and said, hello, so am I. He says, you got to go inside. He goes, look, I drove the car, you go inside. He says, no, you drove the car, I'll stay and watch the car, you go inside. So you're arguing. Finally, he turns to me and says, look, I'm a Kayan, I can't go in. So I said, I, you know, I didn't know the difference, I wasn't such a big Talmud Chacham, I didn't know the difference, it's a Kayan, no, no, you can go in. He says, okay, you're a Kayan, fine, I'll go in. I take my papers, I go to the door, big monastery doors, I knock on the door. And sure enough, this, this monk answers the door. He said, hi, I'm here from the police station, I want to take a police report. Oh, that's right, please come to the side door. Sure. Close the doors, he goes, I go to the side. I walk to the side and I see this small doorway. As I'm walking to the small doorway, the door opens up. And there's the monk, he says, okay, come in, come in. And he goes inside. So I start to walk inside, it's dark, I take out my flashlight, I start to go, and I bend down, I'm starting to walk inside. I'm walking for maybe 20 seconds, and all of a sudden I look, I see, after the passageway, there's a getchka. There's a, an idol over there. And I hop right away, what he wants me to do, to walk in about. I said, no, it's not happening. I immediately turned around, and I walked out. The monk comes running out furious, you disgraced idol, you turn your back to the idol, starts yelling at me. I said, what's the problem? I'll take the report now. 
yelling at me and he slams the door shut. I called the radio, I said, uh, the guy said he's going to call in the report instead. A week later, the lieutenant calls me and he says, I want you to know that they complained, the Vatican complained. The Vatican sent a letter registering an official complaint. They will not accept anything less than official apology from the State of Israel and you have to be fired. And I was fired. They gave me 100,000 shekels for my 29 years of service and I was fired. So now I'm driving a taxi. My partner, my partner, he's traveling the world, he has full pension, he's living the life, but I'm driving a taxi. He was quiet for a moment and then he turned to the pastor and said, I want you to know something. If I was faced with that same situation again, I would make the exact same decision again. At that point, the pastor said, he says, I didn't know if I could be in a holier place sitting in that taxi or sitting inside Arn Kaidish. For someone to go through that and yet to say, I would do it all over again. That is someone who understands and accepts, who makes the right decisions. How good he felt afterwards, missing out on everything else, but he knew he made the right decision. And that's this Kenya, the Kenya Miyol Yeshio, the most genuine Kenya that we have, crying over the lost opportunity. The Kenya Miyol Yeshio.
next kid will be saying is Kinnig Yud Beis. Holy Asher Ta'afta Adlai Bereshis in Kisei Kavir L'Tzarfai, my tent, referring to the Beis Amigdash, that you wanted to have even before creation. Lomu L'Netzach Shuda Biyad Shaydedim. Why is it forever plundered? What do I have here? In this kina, we ask a bunch of questions. 20 questions we ask. What am I doing here without the Beis Where's my Navi? How come you're not here with us? And it keeps on going through all these different questions. Why aren't you coming back? Why is everything outside? We keep on asking these questions. Why isn't the Beis Hamikdash here? And as we recite this short kina, we have to think to ourselves: Are we just prattling? Are we asking questions, but we really know the answer? Are we asking questions? The Beis Hamikdash is not here because Hashem, it's not here. It's His decision. It's not ours. We have to realize when we see this kina that. If we're saying this kina, if Ghazal gave us this kina, it's because it's up to us to make a difference. It's up to us to make a difference. But if the first time we're going to think about it is this today, is thinking, you know, I'm sitting on the floor, I'm hungry, it'd be nice to have the base Amigdash, it doesn't work. The Shiva of Gifter, when he would go be Menachem Avil somebody, and we would get up to leave, so we all know the Paschim, and we'd be sad for the person that we're just trying to comfort. But very often the Rashiva would get up, say, and then his voice would start to choke. When he would start to say, How many of us think of that second part? Realizing that the only reason why we have the first part is because of the second. The only reason why we have to comfort somebody is because we don't have the base in English. And that's how the Rashiva would look at it. You can't just look at it one day a year. Rishol Hager, the Vision Sarebbe, when he was born, his father, Rav Baruch, was only 15 years old. And therefore his grandparents, the Tzemach Tzedek, together with his grandmother, Rebbe Tzemiriam Manya, would have a large part of taking care of him, of little Rabbi Yisrael. And when he was a little boy, he was 8 years old, she had tutors for him together with other boys, and she heard that there's an exhibit coming to town, to the town of Vizhnitz. So in 1868, 1868 when this town, when this exhibit came, she sent them, it was an exhibit of all the countries in the world, the capitals. So she thought it would be interesting for them to see. So she told them a lot, but take the kids, go there. And they went there, and they start to see Paris and New York and London. They see these big bridges and these tall buildings. And these are, of course, these are just pictures teeming with vitality and people. And it was a picture of Yushalayim there as well. And on the way home, they start to go, and all of a sudden, the kids are talking about how exciting it was. Maybe, maybe somebody could meet someone who went to those cities. And all of a sudden, little Rabbi Yisrael bursts out in tears. And Lamed got scared that something happened, and he couldn't calm them down. And finally, the boy says, we're looking at all these cities, beautiful cities, tall buildings, people, bridges, and then you look at Yerushalayim. The picture wasn't lying. Disease, few people, small buildings, little huts. That's what is in Yerushalayim. How can I not cry? Mishpala Ashal 
when I see every other city is built up, only Yerushalayim is not. How does such a kid have such feelings? Because he didn't only cry on Tisha B'Av. He lived with it the whole year. So you tell this to people, they say, yeah, but what, what could I do? I'm just one person, what am I going to do? I'm not, I'll become as great as someone. I can't bring Mashiach, what do you want from me? No one should ever underestimate themselves. Anybody ever hear of George Bernard Danzig? George Bernard Danzig was in a program, in a master's program for, for forensic mathematics. And one time, he had a professor who said, anybody who comes late can't come in. And it was towards the end of the course, and this person, George Danzig, was late. And he's rushing, rushing to get inside. And of course, there were a lot of people in the class. The professor didn't notice. He slips in. And he sees, of course, the homework's on the board. He quickly writes it down. And that night he tries to do the homework and frustrated that he wasn't there when the teacher taught it. But he knew that if he can't use that as an excuse, I was late, because he'll be kicked out of the course. He stayed up all night, and finally he was able to do it, making sure he's not late for the next day. He runs in, and he gives it to the teacher. Professor puts it down. At the end of the class, the professor calls him over and says, What's this? He says, Well, this is the homework from last night. He starts to look at it. He says, This wasn't homework. Those are two examples of problems that are not solvable. I was just showing the class. And he says, well, I solved them. And these theorems are named after him, George Danzig, because he solved these problems. In fact, that's what he wrote his PhD on. But he was able to solve it because no one told him that it's not solvable. Everybody knows Roger Bannister, who in 1952, for the first human being to run a mile in less than four minutes, of course... It was three minutes, 59.4 seconds. But when they saw the three, they burst out in cheers. And now, now that's a standard. Not for me, but that, that's a standard to people to run. The people can do it. Human being can do it. We have this thing that there's the law of that I can't do it. Somehow not me. I can't do it. I can't bring Mashiach. This problem goes by the scientific name of what's the differentism could I make? I can't do any changes. Let me show you what change you can make, how special you are. We all say Shema. The meaning is we cover our eyes when we say Shema with our hands. Why do we cover our eyes when we say Shema? So everyone says we cover our eyes, so we should have better concentration. I have a very simple idea. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Why do I have to put my hands by my eyes to, to close my eyes? There's something that we have that no one else has. That's called a fingerprint. No one else has my fingerprint. No one that ever came has my fingerprint. They've tested billions of them. No one has my fingerprint. It's different than everyone else. There's something else that I have that's different than no one else has. They discovered recently, and they use it for biometrics, my eye. My eye has its own unique print. There are plateaus and valleys in my eye that they use now for security for biometrics. Only I have that print. When we say Shema, we're saying Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad Hashem is the master of the whole universe. Where do I fit in? It's such a big universe. We take our hands, that's unique to me. We take our eyes, that's unique to me. And together, I put it and I say Hashem. It's just me and you. It's just me and you. That's the relationship I have with Hashem. And that's when we can say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. No yid should ever think that they're insignificant. When we say this kinah, we say, 
What do I have here? I don't have you, Hashem. Ma'ali ladidi pai. We go to the skin and ask these Hashem, why aren't you here realizing that Hashem is listening and hearing us say this? And He so badly wants to come back to us. Kim will be saying it's Kinnah Tezayin. Kinnah Tezayin. speaks about the destruction of the Beis Amigdash, first Beis Amigdash, the second Beis Amigdash. Remember what Titus did when he came into the base of Migdash. He pulled out his, his sword and he went inside. And he went inside when he desecrated the Lachma upon him 
And then he stabbed the parechus, the two-sided parechus, which means you can see the, the picture on both sides. And it started to bleed. The blood came out and he said how, how he killed Hashem. What happened was, Nebuchadnezzar was undecided. At one point, as he was building his, his kingdom, he was undecided who he should attack. Should he attack Amain or Eretz Yisrael? So he took out his arrows and he started to throw, um, shoot his arrows in different directions. And they all went south towards Eretz Yisrael. No matter what direction he threw them at. And he realized, obviously, I'm supposed to go and destroy Eretz Yisrael. When he arrived at Eretz Yisrael, he sent his general Nebuzaradan with 300 mules loaded with axes to go and break down the wall. <clears throat> These were especially hardened blades. And they went, and they took the axes, and they started to hit. And they were hitting and hitting, and eventually the axe would break. They took a new one, and over and over again, 300 mules full of axes, and every single axe was breaking. They couldn't break the door. Ultimately, he was frustrated and ready to go back and admit defeat. He had one last axe, he took it, and he flips the axe at the door. It hits it with the, with the wooden handle, and from that the door broke. And as soon as he saw that, he got scared. And he saw a Jewish boy walking by, and he says, Tell me, what did you learn today? And he says, I learned today that Hashem defends the nation and those who pursue her. And he realized that I'm not going to go and do this, because if I do this, I'm going to get punished. And as the Gemara tells us, he ran away, he gave final instructions to his family, and it was a rather than became a ger. Nebuchadnezzar, however, did not learn anything from, from this, and he remained as cruel as ever. Later on, while sailing down the river, and he saw prisoners walking, he turns angrily to one of his commanders and says, what's going on with those prisoners? He says, they're walking, they're in shackles. He said, why are they walking straight? And immediately the order was given, barrels were filled up with sand and earth, and everyone had to carry it on their back, and as they walked bent over like an animal, shackled, carrying these, carrying these heavy barrels for no reason. That's unfortunately not the only time <clears throat> we were treated cruelly. The Nazis learned a lot from them, and we were shown what it's like to live without the Shekhinah. The Kinnah tells us, goes on from the Churban by Shvizhan and the Churban by Shani, and the Velozar Kalir just tells us how Vespasian came together with his son Titus. Vespasian was at that time the general who laid a siege around Yerushalayim. And then he gets a message, he was elected as, as, as emperor, and he turns around to go back and he put Titus in charge. And Titus went, and he goes inside to the base of Migdash, and as we said, he stabbed the, the, the Parechus, and he starts to bang on the, on the arn, on the Shulchan. And he says, you're a king, I'm a king, let's do battle. Let's do battle. And he burned the base of Migdash, and the Harabias was in flames. 97,000 Eden were taken away. One, as captives, 1.1 million were killed. It says there were so many slaves that they had. There was a, 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 they, they flooded the market with slaves. At that point in Rome, it was cheaper to buy a horse than it was to buy a slave, a Yiddish slave. The few Jews who managed to escape to the hills, to the mountains, to the desert, they would hunt them. They would hunt them like rabbits. That was their sport, looking for the Eden. No one was surviving. 
It's well known the Gemara tells us, Titus on the way back on the ship, a storm started. A very dangerous storm was getting more and more violent. And Titus looks up and he says, God, Hashem, I see you're very strong in the ocean. You're very good with water. You managed to get rid of Nayach, Paray, Sisra. Very nice. On the water. Why don't you fight me on the ground? And immediately the storm stopped. And there's a beautiful blue sky. But as soon as he landed, Gemara tells us a little gnat went into his, through his nose and was flying around in his head by his brain and it bothered him terribly it was terrible pain until one time he was walking and there was a blacksmith banging with his hammer and the gnat was startled so it was quiet so he told the blacksmith you're going to walk after me and you're going to bang and your payment's going to be that you get to see the pain that I'm in but even that lasted 30 days and after 30 days the gnat got used to it and the pain came back ultimately about a year and a half later Titus died from it and when they opened it up they saw according to one shot of Gemara there was a gnat sitting on his brain weighing an ounce others say it was almost two pounds Gemara two different uh, gearses and that's how he died but before he died he told his people I want you to cremate me I want you to burn my body and spread the ashes over the waters over the seven seas and this way Hashem won't be able to find me he won't be able to judge me Later on, his sister's son, named Unculus, came over to him in a dream. He conjured him up and he says, Uncle Titus, tell me, what is, your, what is your judgment up there? He says, what's my judgment up there? He says, why are you asking what my judgment was? Ask me what my judgment is. He says, well, what, what is your judgment? He says, every day I am taken and I am burned. My ashes are spread out. And then the next day, they put me back together, and they burn me again. And that's what happens to me every single day. He says, Titus, tell me, should I join them? He says, who is on top of the next world? Is it the Jews or the Gaim? He says, no, it's the Jews, but don't join them. It's too hard to go and follow all the rules. So Gemara says. Then Gemara tells us, we go through the Kinnah. So he says, the Kinnah tells us, Avisenu zarek hifnisu b'chur of achlu eish. Our ancestors, referring to Nadav and Avil, they went inside when they were not supposed to, and they were burned. And now, and now Titus goes inside and nothing happens to him. Obviously, it's because there was no Kedusha left. Not only did he go inside, he went inside with the Zayna, he did a terrible Maisim inside the Kedusha Gadashim, and nothing happens to him, and Nadav and Avil get burned. And as the Gemara explains, yes, because... Hashem already took a shino away, and now that was burning was only stones and wood. He had four generals. The general for, for Tito was Vespasian, and he had four generals. And he tells him, each one had a section of Yishlein to destroy. And they all did their job except for one of them, one general named Panger. Panger couldn't destroy the Western Wall. We know Chazal tells us the Western Wall won't be destroyed. So he came back to Titus and he came back to Vespasian and he said, I didn't destroy this wall. You know why? Because then later on people would say how the king destroyed Yerushalayim and the base of Midash. They won't know what it is. Maybe some little, some little hut that he destroyed. I wanted them to see how great it was and yet the king was able to destroy it. So he says, oh, very nice. I just want to make sure that's the reason why you did it. So we're going to have a little test. I want you to climb up to the wall and jump off. 
if you land and you're healthy and you're safe, good, that means you did it for the king's honor. But if not, it's not because of the king's honor. And of course he went up, he jumped down, and he did not make it. Uh, we know when we say the king's honor, we know that he really didn't do it for Kodesh Baruch honor, and therefore he was not saved. But after they came back, after Titus died, he came back with uh, very triumphantly, and later on he was only king after his father died for two years. His brother Domitian built an arch called the Arch of Titus to commemorate what his brother did. If you go to Rome today, there's a few left, but that used to be the billboard. That's they used to tell everybody what they did, and they had the inscriptions on it, and we know the inscriptions they have on it, carrying the, the, the Menaira, carrying actually a, a picture of the bleeding Parikas on there. And a well-known story with Rav Kahaneman from Panovich, who was there, and we all know that he was driving by the, to, back to the airport, and he told the driver, bring me to the Arch of Titus, please. And he comes there, and he starts to shake his fist at it, and says, Titus, Titus, where are you? I'm going back to Bnei Brak, I have yeshiva, hundreds of Bakram, where are you? And he went back. And sure enough, Titus, Titus, where are you? Well, that's what we have. But we have to remember. We have to remember. So we think about these things. Yeah, we make fun. Titus, Titus, they're just crying about an arch. Or there's just an arch left, or the Colosseum. Or the Mexicans cry after the Aztecs pyramids. Are we any different that we cry over the Kaisel? So we're also only crying over a wall. How are we any different? And Hassan Shafer explains Yaakov Avinu, we know, cried over Yaisa for 22 years. He says, How is that possible? Hashem gave us a chesed that when someone dies, someone dies after 12 months, we forget about it, the pain goes away. How did Yaakov cry for 22 years? And we all know the answer because Yesu was still alive. Yesu was still alive. He only thought he was dead. Says the Chassam Seifer. True, the Romans, they don't cry over the Colosseum and, and the Artetitas and the, the, the Mexicans don't cry over the Aztecs because it's gone. We cry over the Beis Amigdash because we know it's not gone. We're actually not crying over the lost Beis Amigdash. We are crying over the non-construction of this Beis Amigdash.
is a very difficult kinnah to say. If it can happen, the women ate the fruit of the womb, their own children. Woe is to me. You would think that maybe they ate their children, they didn't care about them. These were children, these were parents who would measure the growth of their children every year and donate money to the base Nudish with that growth. Before we continue the kina, just to set out, as you're going to say at the end, a surprising end to this kina has they accept responsibility. There's someone named Chazen, who's a Chazen, Meisha Kraus. Chazen Meisha Kraus, he was born in Ungvar in 1923. He actually grew up together with my father in Ungvar. And he was known as Meishla de Zinger. Meishla de Zinger, he had a beautiful voice. And many people used to go to hear him sing. And when he was young, he used to go to different shoals to sing as a Chazen. And in 1941, the war was starting, but not in a lot of places. They didn't even know what was going on. And he was in Chust for a few days. He was giving a concert there, and he was singing there, and diving for the, as a Baltfiel and a Shoal. And he was in Chust. That Shabbos, while he was davening, he gets an urgent message from the Russia Kul, from the, the president of the community, he has to come to his house right away, it's an emergency. So he comes running to his house and he tells him, he says, you know, Rav Baruchul is on a train now. Baruchul. Rav Baruchul was the son-in-law of Baruch Rabinowitz, who was the son-in-law of the Minkat Shaluza. The Minkat Shaluza was Nifter in 1937 and his son-in-law of Baruch the father of today's Minkat took over. What happened was, he said that the Nazis were there and they were arresting everybody who did not have their papers. So at that time, Chus was part of Hungary. If you didn't have your papers, they would take you away. Everyone else was able to stay. They lived there relative peace for another three years in Hungary. But they were taken away. And he tells them they were taken to the station, going to Kamenitz Podolsk. And from there, they're going to be taken to the camps. He says, so what do you want from me? He says, he takes out a safe, he takes out a chayk. And he says, inside here, points to a person, he's just finishing sewing in 500 U.S. dollars in the front and 500 U.S. dollars in the back. I want you to take this now, go to the train, and give it to Rav He says, Shabbos. He says, Shabbos. What are you, a fool? <laughs> it's his life. Go take it to him right now. Okay. He was a little scared. He said, uh, he said over the story, I was a little scared, but I had my papers with me. I was allowed to be here. He takes the clock and he runs to the train station. There's screaming and there's yelling going on. And he runs to the train. He says, Baruchol, Baruchol. No answer. He runs to the next one, to the next one. Finally gets it. He's very, very scared. A lot of Nazis going around, always asking for his papers. Any second, he could have just thrown him on the train. Finally gets to the second to last train. He's at the end of the train, the second to last train. Someone sticks his head out. He goes, Yes. 
he sees it was the Rebbe of Barchel. He says, Barchel, he gives him the chok. He gives him, he says, here, take it. And he whispers, there's money inside for you to use. And he takes it, he says, thank you. And he turns to him, and Rav Meishel Kraus turns to him, he says, Rebbe, could I ask you something? He says, sure. He says, Rebbe, why does Hashem need so much Kiddush Hashem? They already knew what was happening and what the Nazis and Mahashman were doing. Why does the Hashem need so much Kiddush Hashem? So the Rebbe looked at him and said, That's not Kiddush Hashem. He says, What? These people are going to kill us. It's not Kiddush Hashem. So the Rebbe said, Kiddushim, Zayzan and Kiddushim, of course they're Kiddushim. But it's not Kiddush Hashem. He looked and said, what do you mean? He says, Kiddush Hashem is when someone makes a choice. These people, they're being killed. They're Kiddushim. They're special, they're holy. But they don't have a choice. They're being killed by Kiddush Hashem. And then he looks at Chazen Kraus, he says, but you should know. Very soon the war is going to be over. And then people will have a choice after what they went through what they see those who survived will have a choice and they're going to say am I going to keep Shabbos or am I not going to keep Shabbos am I going to marry Yid or not going to marry Yid am I going to put on Tfum or I won't put on Tfum they're going to have a choice to make and when they make the right choice that will be a Kiddush Hashem and that's the ability that we all have today we all have Baruch Hashem we're not being forced we have the ability to make choices and with all the right choices we make Kiddush Hashem and then we look at this kinah. We look at this kinah, the choices they made, and they ended up eating their own children, starving, reaching a point where mothers would eat their own children. When it talks about if in Tavana Zulazu, there were two ladies, they made a deal. We'll eat your child, and then we'll eat my child. These were not children who died. It says the kinah, they, they killed them while they were screaming. Let's kill our children while they're screaming. And they went and they did that. And then the next day they came for her child. Give me your child. Remember we made a deal. I said, sorry. Not here anymore. So what do you mean? Yeah, he's not here anymore. What she did was she cut him up into little pieces so she can hide him, so she can eat him later. That is what happened in this kinah. And each stanza, if we look at it, starts with the word Im. How could this be? Im to Im, Im, Im. But the word afterwards starts with Atav. And that spells the word Emes. Because each time we say these things, we are not saying it with a complaint to Hashem. But we are saying, indeed, it's Emes, it's true. We admit to what we did. If the babies were eaten alive, it's because of what we did. Says, people who ate their own fathers. The kin tells over how, how there's a group of people hiding in a cave. And every day one of them had a job to go out and to get food. At one time it was a certain person's turn, he went out and he was looking and he couldn't find anything. And then finally he saw a body on the side. He went to look, ah, oh, it found something to eat. And he saw it was his own father. So he couldn't take his own father. He buried him, in a, in a, he made a quick grave, and he buried him. He went back to the side, couldn't find any food. And they were angry at him. What do you mean you couldn't find any food? It's your turn. He said, I couldn't find. Someone else said, well, we're going to starve. And he went out to look. And he comes back, he said, look, they found food. And they cooked it and they ate it. 
And then the person says, I don't understand. I looked everywhere. Where did you find? He says, you don't know how to look. I found the shallow grave. There was a fresh body inside, and that's what we ate. And his men of Basar, Alves Labanam, and he realized that he ate flesh from his own father. We're sitting here. We think we're hungry. You know, someone says, I'm starving. I just had lunch, and uh, supper's not for another two hours. I only had one snack. I'm starving. That's not what starving means. The skin tells us what starving really meant, how... how, how they didn't have food. Rav Gusman, Moshev of Netzach Yisrael, would say over how he was walking with his wife, his son, and his daughter in the ghetto. And the Nazis came by, and for no reason they took his son, they threw him up in the air and shot him. And he landed, they just stepped on him, and they killed him, and they walked away laughing. And Rav Gusman said, at least they had the ability to bury him. But then they had to keep on running. He says, his wife and the daughter, they were starving. And he got them some food, but he wasn't eating from it. So his wife says, Yisrael, why aren't you eating? He says, I'm not hungry. He says, you're not hungry? You haven't eaten in two days. What do you mean you're not hungry? He says, what should I tell you? You know where I got this food from? Before I buried our child, I took his shoes. And I sold his shoes, and that's how I got food. I can't eat food that came from the shoes of my dead child. And yet in this kina, they killed their own children to eat how bad of a situation it must have been, how much worse it must have been. The kinney goes on to explain all these things to the end. Each time we agree that it was, it was, it was uh, bad. If it can be that on one stone, nine calves of a children's brain was on it, which means how many babies were smashed against it so they can eat the children. Ravon Kotler's wife's sister, Rabbi sister, she would say over how when they were running away, her father, who ran away, paid someone to watch her, a farmer. And the farmer kept her in the barn. And she was in the barn, and the deal was, every day he would bring her food. He used to bring her food. Some days he, quote-unquote, forgot. Sometimes he forgot for two or three days. And she would be so hungry. She missed outside, she couldn't leave. But there was a goat in the barn with her which the farmer took every day to milk. And she would go and try to suck out any drops of milk left in that goat. She missed outside so much, she would go and hug the goat just to get a little smell of outside. And when it got really, really bad, she would look at the droppings of the goat. In her mind, she would think, wow, those are chocolate lentils with chocolate candy. And that's what she would eat because she was starving. This is what happened to us. This is what happened to us. We, we wait 10 extra minutes for our lunch and we get all nervous. This is what it's telling us. This is what the siege. When the Romans came and they siege Yushalayim, there was no food. They would take their children, the Roman children, they would find a lady who just gave birth, who was nursing her own child, and force her to nurse the Roman children. Nurse until she had no more milk. And then they would take away the Roman baby and now she had nothing left for her own child not to nurse their own child. And then they would die and they would collapse. As the Gemara tells us, the little babies were still alive, they would be crawling to their dead mother, trying to nurse from the dead mother, but nothing was there, and they would die. And we say emes. For each time we say emes. You ever see somebody starve to death? Baruch Hashem, I never did. My mother's sister, my mother was there, my mother's sister starved to death during the war. She watched us, she just starved to death. 
no food. And this would happen here. And we say, MS. Each time we say, MS. Says the Sham, you're so quick to say everything that I did to you. What about what you did? And that's how we end off this kinah. We end off the kinah saying, if it could be that people were so hungry they ate their own children, it could only be for one reason. You're so quick to say everything I did to you, says Hashem. But what about what you did? Did you kill the Navi, a Kayan, in the base of Migdash? Referring to, of course, to Zechariah. To, to Rebrachia um, ben Yayada. They killed him in there, which we'll learn about in the next kinah. What does it mean when we say Amos the whole time? So there's another dimension to this. As we said in the past, when a person needs mercy, who do you run to? You run to your father or you run to your mother? Most people run to their mother. And yet, whenever we dive into Hashem, we say, Karachim of Albanim. Why don't we dive in Karachim Aim Albanim? Why Karachim of Albanim? So, one, Vincent Rebetzin once said, goes, that much chutzpah we don't have. Tash was so much Rachmanis. But the truth is, we say MS is made up of the word of aim. Aim means mother. And the truth is, when we were saved from Mitzrayim, it was done by Aaron and Moshe. When we were saved by Purim, it was by Esther and Mordechai. And Mitzvah, may this gula, which should happen today, Mitzvah Hashem, is going to be by Eliyahu and Mashiach. Aaron and Moshe spells aim. Esther and Mordechai is aim. Eliyahu and Mashiach spells aim. And we turn to Hashem, we say, Avinu Malkeinu. That's aim. Because we don't say it straight out, but we're diving to Hashem to have that the kudah rahmanis of a mother to her children of aim. But we can't say it straight out. It's asking so much. But that's aim. And in this kinah, when we admit to what we did, MS, 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 we get to the end. Each time we say what happened to us, when we get to the end, it's not anymore the soft. We leave off the soft. We just say aim. String out to Hashem, please. Yes, it's true what we did. It's true what we did to the Navi. But save us like a mother to a child. But then Hashem says to us, I can treat you like a parent if you treat my other children like your brothers and sisters. You know, there was a fellow who learned in Ashdod for many years. He got married, he was in Kail in Ashdod, and then after a few years he moved to Yerushalayim. He would go visit his Rebbe no matter what, twice a year. One time on Pesach, and one time before the Yom Naraim. At one time, Rosh Hashanah already passed, and it was Sarsi Mechuba. He said, After it was my Rebbe Tajdod, he makes plans, he runs to the train to the bus station in Tachan Merkazit. He knows there's only two buses running to Ajdod. And he Baruch Hashanah, he makes his bus, he gets on, and he walks onto the bus, he finds a seat, he sits down, Baruch Hashanah, no one's next to him. And the bus starts to go. As he's about to take out his small Gemara to start learning, it's Sarsi Mechuba. So on the next aisle flashes him a big smile. He looks at the guy and his big smile. The guy's missing half his teeth. He looks at him and he thinks to himself, what are you smiling about? <laughs> you look in the mirror, you see how you look? Okay, then well, he feels bad that he thought this way. It's not so nice, you know. The guy didn't do anything to me. It's a source of tshuva. I'm going to my Rebbe for a bracha. I'm sitting about to learn. And I'm making fun of a yid I never even met. So he turns to me and says, oh, shalom aleichem. Okay, shalom aleichem, shalom. 
And he spoke a little, where are you coming, where are you going? He made nice conversation. And after a few minutes, he said, okay, nice meeting you. You know, Yom Kippur's coming. I better start preparing. I better start learning. And the fellow says, ah, yeah, Yom Kippur's coming. Yom Kippur's coming. This year is going to be an easy Yom Kippur over here. So he looks at him and he says, this year will be an easy Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur's the same every year. He's not, this year Kippur's going to be an easy Yom Kippur. He says, why do you say that? It's a long story. He says, okay, we're, we're traveling together. So he tells him, he says, you know, I lived in Russia. And I had a little business over there I was able to do. I used to sell carpets. Of course, everything was taken away. We worked for the state. But I also made sure on the side to try to help people with the Yiddishkeit. To get a sitter, to find kosher food, to help someone teach something. And one time after a few years, they caught me, and they warned me I better stop. And I stopped for a few weeks, but then I said, what type of life is this not to help another year? And I continued to help. And then I got caught again. I went to court. I was found guilty of being a counter-revolutionary, because I'm helping people get kosher food. And they sent me to Siberia. I went to Siberia. For 10 years, they sentenced me to Siberia. And when I was there, you get off two days a year. Those were the holidays of the, the birthdays of the leaders of, of Russia. And we had to work every day. Shabbos, every day we had to work. Yom Kippur was coming and I said, you know what, I'm going to fast in Yom Kippur. And my friend said, you're going to fast in Yom Kippur? How are you going to fast in Yom Kippur? You're not going to have any food? You won't work? They're going to kill you. He said, I don't care, I'm fasting in Yom Kippur. They said, There's no, it's not going to work. You're not allowed to kill yourself. So one friend says, you know, by the way, if you're in the infirmary... You won't have to work. He said, oh, great idea. The rule was that if you are injured, you get to go to the infirmary for the day. So Erevin Kipper that year, on the way back from work, on the way in, I started screaming and yelling, my tooth hurts me. I was screaming, I was screaming. So the guy sent me to the infirmary. There's the doctor, he had a doctor. Probably once gave out Tylenol, made him a doctor. I started yelling, my tooth hurts, my tooth hurts. He said, which tooth? I pointed to the tooth. He took a pliers and he yanked it out. Just like that. Of course, now it hurt much more. But I had the right to be in the firmary for the day. That year, Yom Kippur, I didn't have to work. I didn't have to fast. It was such a good idea that the next year I said, you know, I'm going to do the same thing. Erev Yom Kippur came back from work. I started screaming, yelling, my tooth hurts. Which tooth? I pointed to it. The guy yanked it out. I did that for six years. And then the seventh year, Kippur was coming, and for whatever reason, I was freed. But they gave me 14 days to leave Russia. And I came to Eretz Yisrael. I'm now in Eretz Yisrael for three years. This is my fourth Yom Kippur over here. This will be an easy Yom Kippur, because I don't have to get my tooth pulled out to fast. The guy sitting over there now looks at him, and now he sees the Yid smile. And now instead of seeing a disgusting, toothless smile, he sees a holy Jew with a beautiful, holy smile, the Shekhinah coming out of his face. And he realized how low he was compared to what this Yid did. He said, every Yid that we see, we have to look at how special he is. And not to go and to say to Shem, please help me, help me. And Hashem said, what do you mean help you? You're not helping my, my own sons, my own daughters, your brothers and sisters. If you want Hashem to help us, you want to look at Hashem, a mother should help us. As the Avinu Malkeinu, as the aim. The only way that happens is by treating our fellow brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters.
Kim will be saying it's Kinney Yates. The Hoshem at Stoko. Laces and Sheriff Lesu. Mios Viadato. You Hashem are Stoko are righteous with all the beautiful signs you showed us till now. The Lana Baishes upon him and how embarrassed we are. If Hinashen and Tafu Vaisonu Tafta as a result of all the things that we did. And the Kinney goes on each time to say. We admit 12 times that Hashem is the right one. Hashem and Staka, the Lord of Aish is upon him, and we are wrong. This kin also written by Ravalazar Kalir, where we write how Hashem did for us, how righteous Hashem is, how much good Hashem did for us, and our response was not be makateva, be a kafiteva. That's why we go through this kin as saying it 12 times that we admit Hashem was right. Kin tells us, Hashem went and He brought us to the Yamsa. We, we, we crossed the Yamsa. We should be so thankful. The Lord of Aish is upon Him, but we're embarrassed. He said, Sure. Of course, Hashem took us out on this side. But, but, but the Mitzvim came out from the other side, and they're going to come and catch up to us. Or as we say, you gave us wafers fried on honey, referring to the mon. The Lord of Baish is upon him, but we're embarrassed to say, And yet we went and we used it to offer the eagle. We served the eagle with the mon. The very thing you gave us that we should be proud of and happy, you went and we used for the mon. And that's in this kingdom we are admitting that everything that happened to us is just. We said, we continues on, And again, how you did good for us and not, continues on at the end of the king, You gave us a, the Mishkan in all these places, and Shilai, Noiv, and Givain, and then the Beis Amigdash, the Lord of Bashus upon him, the Resha Shinim Sabanu. And how each one of us caused, in our own evil way, we caused the destruction of the Beis Amigdash. And in fact, the Gemara uses this kinah, this complaining of the one, as a prime example of being kafi taif. We had nothing to eat, and Hashem gave us the one. And instead of being thankful, we threw it in His face. We used it for, we used it for the eagle. You know, amazing, the mun, which is a perfect food, we call it over here a destructive food. Kilkul, we call it. We were scared, we said we're going to blow up. We're eating and eating and eating, and we're not going to the bathroom. We were terrified of the mun, instead of realizing that, no, everything that we ingest with the mun is perfect for our body. The nachash says, you're complaining about the mun. 
I could eat anything and it tastes like one thing. You only have to eat one thing and it can taste like anything. And you're complaining? That's what the Nachash says to us. And that's this kind of teaching us to appreciate what Hashem gives for us. It's not very helpful. Hashem wants to have a relationship with us. And Hashem wants to give and give and give. But it's not very helpful when Hashem gives and gives and gives, and we use what He gives us against Hashem. It's not very good for a relationship. And that's what we cry and we mourn. We mourn to realize how much of Hashem wants to have a relationship with us, and we kept on throwing it to His face until it was too late. How strong could a relationship be? So we know a relationship could be as strong as the weaker side wants. It can't be stronger than the weaker side wants. And a Kaddish Baruch who very much wants a strong relationship. So really it's up to us. When we have the relationship, we don't think about it. It's only when we lose it that we start to cry. Why do we have to wait till we lose it? It's a story that I heard from Rezev Lef. It's such a painful story. It's such an impossible story to believe. That I never said this story. I asked him twice to repeat the story to me on two different occasions to make sure I get the story right. Rezev Lef, Shlita, used to be the Rav in North Miami Beach. And one time he gets a phone call from one of his Mispalim. He says, uh, Rav Lef, he says, yes, he says, could you possibly meet with an acquaintance of mine? A young man, he's 19 years old, 19, 20 years old. Could you meet with him? Sure. Um, okay, when can you meet with him? So let me check my schedule. He says, in about two weeks, I can meet with him. He says, no, it's too late. <coughs> it's an emergency. It's an emergency. Okay, so maybe tomorrow morning after davening. He says, no, no, no. It has to be right now. He, he's suicidal. You have to meet with him now. Oh, okay. You know what? 10 o'clock today, tonight, after Marav, in two hours from now, we can meet. Fine. I'll bring him. Sure enough, after Marav, Rezevlev goes to his office. And as he's going to his office, he sees the door open. And he sees his spouse come in. But this teenager is 19, 19-year-old, 20-year-old. He comes in with him. He says, Rabbi... Here's my, uh, my friend. Could you please speak to him? The friend sits down, and the Mispal walks out. And it's just Rezev left in this person. So Rezev looks at him and says, How can I help you? And the person bursts out in tears. He starts crying and crying and crying. A minute, two minutes, three minutes. Rezev left, didn't know, what, didn't know this person, felt uncomfortable. So he gets up, he walks around, he sits down next to him, puts his arm around him, he starts to hold him. And the person calms down. He turns to me and says, what can I help you with? What's wrong? He says, when I was six years old, my mother died. My father was very special. He brought me up and he was my father and he was my mother. He did everything for me. We were very, very close. I graduated high school. Father agreed I went to, to university. I'm in a dorm over there. And recently he called me up and he told me he wants to come, he wants to meet with me. I said, sure, I got to a bus. I came back. And we went out to a restaurant, and we were eating and talking and having a very nice time together. When all of a sudden, he pulls an envelope out of his pocket, and he slides it across the table. I said, what's this? He said, open it up. I opened up the envelope, and there was a credit card. I said, what's this? It was your credit card. He goes, wow. But Dad, I don't really have any money. You're never going to see the bill. You can do whatever you want with it. No limits. Do whatever you want. I said, Dad, thanks. You're the best. Yeah. He continued eating. Takes an envelope. And he slides it across the table. I said, Dad, what's that? He goes, open it. I open up the envelope, and there are keys inside. I said, what's this? He goes, keys to your car. He goes, Dad, I don't have a car. He says, now you do. 
parked outside, brand new car for you. Wow, Dad, you're the best. I'm so happy, so excited. Wow, thank you. We continue to eat. After dessert, his father pulls out a third envelope. Slides it across. He goes, Dad, what's this? He goes, open it up. He opens it up, and there's a set of keys inside. He goes, Dad, what's this? It's your new condo. My new condo? Wow. Wow, uh, like what's it for in case, you know, I don't want to be home and I want, you know, weekend or something? He says, son, let me tell you, you see, uh, I took good care of you, but now you're away, and I decided to, uh, time for me to, uh, to look around and maybe get married. I found a nice young lady. We went out for a little while, and uh, we're getting married. Well, Dad, it's beautiful. What's with the condo? You moving out of the house? He says, well, you see, she has a child, and she read somewhere that it doesn't work out so well for step-siblings in the same house. It doesn't work out so well, so... The deal was that, that you're not going to be living with us. So I was like, really? I could only come home like on semesters, in between semesters? He says, no, actually, you, 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 can't, you can't come home. You can't come home. You can't call me. I changed my number. The deal is I can't have anything to do with you anymore. So you got your car. You got your credit card. You got your condo. I love you, son. Gave him a kiss, and he walked out. And that was this boy sitting there telling this to Rezevlef, crying, says, my life's over. My father doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And Rezevlef spoke to him. But later on, Rezevlef said, he says, I don't understand what his problem was. This kid would be the envy of everybody. How many times a kid wants to go out, he goes to his parents, have some money? What do you need it for? Okay, here you go. But I can't, I need more. No, this kid's got all the money he wants. Step two, Makai bar the car. Where are you going? No, you can't go. It's too late. You can't. Come on, everyone has a car. But this kid has a car. What time are you going to be home? You've got to be home on time. Don't be home after. This kid, no one's bothering, no one's bothering him. Why was he so upset? And you're going to say, because he can't call his father. How often did he call his father? You know, every three weeks, his father calls up. Hey, you forgot about him. Why don't you call me? So what's the problem? And Zevlev said, obviously... As long as we know we can have that relationship with our father, we're good. And we don't think about it that much. But only once you lose it, do you realize his life has no meaning and no value when you lose it. And that's what happens in the Skinner. Time after time after time, Hashem came and gave us and gave us and gave us. We took it for granted, we threw it at him. And only after we say at the end of the Kinnah, we lose it all. The loan of vice is upon him. We are so embarrassed that we lost it. And that's what we have to think about by the skinner, not to be kafetayv, but to makatayv for everything Kaj Baruch Hu does for us. The Chadi Nights talk about the Jashar Flosim Yadriyot.
Skin will be saying is Kinochov Aleph. Kinochov Aleph is uh, the first Kinnah that's not directly related to the Churban. It's well known. It's uh, the, the Kinnah of the Sairuge Malchus. And while it's not directly related to the first or second Churban, it comes from that. If it's not related to the Churban, why do we say it? The Gemara tells us in Rosh Hashanah and Yudches. The death of Tzadikim is like the burning of the Beis HaMikdash. And if we learn about here about the Sarah Rugi Malchus, we have to imagine that the Beis HaMikdash was burnt ten times, which the death of each Tzadik was burnt. The kin is very detailed, however it's not meant as a, as a historical. For more historical, we look at, we say this also in Kippur. But in Yom Kippur, we only say it after the whole time of davening, after the Yom Kippur Avayda, in Musaf, only then. We're so close to Hashem, then we could pour out our heart about the Sarei Rugi Malchus. On Tishabav, we don't need to go through all that. We're on the floor, Hashem is with us in the Golis, and therefore we can go straight to talk about this Misa Tzadikim. To go through it, the Kinnah goes through, the cedars of Lebanon, the giants of Tyra, Bali, Tersen, Bimishra, and Gemara, the sword bearers, the shield carriers of Mishnah Gemara, Gibari Kayach, Amoli Petahara, and it goes on to tell us how they were killed. What happened was the king came over to them and said, What is the rule? What is the halacha if somebody kidnaps somebody and sells them as a slave? They said, oh, the terrorist says, if you kidnap somebody and sell them as a slave, Chayv Misa. He says, oh, I noticed, it says in the terror that Yasef was kidnapped. He was sold as a slave. <clears throat> but I don't see anywhere that anybody was punished for it. I will avenge what the brothers did. I will avenge Yasef. They're not going to go and kill ten people. It says of Shem 
So he went to Shemayim to ask Hashem if it's true, if they should accept this. And he says, yes, that's my, that's my, that's my decree. And Hashem Gamliel and Yishmael Kain Gadol each argued, each one wanted to go first, not to have to see the pain of their suffering of their friend. And at the end, the Neifel girl on Rabbi Shimon, the, the girl fell on Rabbi Shimon, Pasha Tzavare, Vachok, Nizrak Zeira. And as he stuck out his, his neck, and he was, he was killed. The next is Yishmael Ben Elisha Kain Gadol, Mizera Aaron Shalba Bakash Lifkais Abenagvira. And what happened was he was very handsome. And the general who was there, the governor who was there, his daughter came and said, Don't kill him, give him to me so I can enjoy him. And he said, No, I have to kill him, but I'll tell you what I'll do. They peeled off his skin from his face so she can put her on a bust and she can have it because he was very handsome. And that's what they did. And as they were pulling it off, he was quiet and he only started to scream when he reached the Mokim of Tefillin, the top, and that's when he started to scream. The kinna continues, moving on, talking about Ma'akrov Aviyu Asher B'Kiva. Aikir Harim, he's someone who could uplift, uh, uplift mountains, and his his svar, he can grind them together. We know about Rabbi Kiva. And what happened to him? They, they, they skinned him alive with a metal comb. For doing what? For teaching Tyre. Rabbi Kiva at that time was 120 years old. And they would torture him every day until one day came Yom Kippur and Turnus Rufus came and said, today's the last day. And they combed him and they skinned him alive. And again, when it came to Shema, he was smiling and he said, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkein Hashem Echad. He said it with a smile. And right before he died, his Talmudim said, Rabbi, at Heichon, so far you have to go, you're getting tortured. And the famous words, he said, my whole life, I want to serve Hashem. B'chol nafshecha, b'chol me'aydecha. Now I finally gave a chal nafshko with my whole soul. I shouldn't be happy. And he wanted to serve Hashem with those words, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu, Hashem Echad. Something we can relate to, at least in thought. We know that we die, we die with the words, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu, Hashem Echad, on our lips. The David Pavarsky, the Ponovitz Rashiva would say, during the war, they were running, and it was with a group of people hiding in a forest somewhere, and they heard the Nazis were coming. So they went further into the forest, and they found a latrun, a, a, an outhouse. They hid inside there, knowing the Nazis are not going to want to go inside there. They went inside, and they were very quiet. And after two minutes, David Provarsky ran out. And he ran out. They didn't know where he went. The Nazis were coming. Sure enough, they walked by the outhouse. They didn't go in. They left. They all came out. And they met with David Provarsky. And they said, why did you leave? He says, well, the Nazis were coming. He says, yeah, that's why we hid inside here. He said, I also hid inside there, but it smelled terrible. That's why you left? It smelled terrible, the Nazis won't come in here. He says, I know, but there's a chance that the Nazis would come in. And if they would come and kill us, I want to die with Shema Yisrael on my lips. And it was so dirty and filthy inside there, I would not be allowed to say Shema Yisrael. So I went to hide by a tree. I don't know if they would catch me or not, but at least if they would catch me there and kill me there, I'll be able to say Shema Yisrael. These are tzaddikim. These are people, our giants. Our adirei levonai, adirei terah. He goes on, continue on with Yehuda ben Bava. He came and he was 
they decreed that he, uh, you know, like if smicha, and he said, I'm not going to allow smicha to stop, and he gave smicha to his five Talmidim, to Rav Meir, Rav Yudah Bar Yiloi, Rav Shimon Bar Yechai, Rav Yesim Echalafta, and Rav Elazar Ben Shamua. He gave them smicha, the Romans found out, they started chasing him, and that's when he said there were two rocks over there, and he said, you guys go through. He lodged himself in the rocks, they couldn't get through, and they shot him with 300 spears, and that's how he died. The kini continues, these terrible tragedies of Chanida ben Trajan, Akhar of Machtakilis Betzin Sha'ara. He would teach Torah in public. The Romans went and they wrapped him in a safe Torah and they put in wet wool and they lit it on fire. Of course, the wet wool would slow down the fire and he would be tortured. The executioner was there and he said, If I help you, if I help you, will I get anything? Will I get a portion of Lama Ban? He said, Yes. And he took out the wet wool and he made the fire bigger and they died. And right before he died, he said those famous words. He sees the ice ice are in the air. The parchment may be burning, but the ice ice are in the air, which means the terror is not, is not damaged by this. And Abbaskal came out and said, Rabbi Yehuda and the executioner, both of them, welcome to Elam Haba. <coughs> At that point, Rabbi Yehuda cried and he said, Yesh kaina ilama b'sha'achas. There are those who kaina ilama ba in one moment. And the question is, so why is he crying about that? He should be very happy. Look how easy you can get Elam Abba. He says, true. But look how many moments we have. All those moments could be used to get Elam Abba. And that's why he was crying. And in Tel Yeshiva, years ago, when they would change the clock, so we know we changed the clock 2 o'clock in the morning. For Tukuf in Tel Yeshiva, before my times, they changed the clock during first Seder. At 11 o'clock, they changed the clock. So you came to first Seder at 9.30, you're learning, it's 10 o'clock, now you're learning, it's 11 o'clock, and now you're learning, and now it's 10 o'clock. And the Bacham complained, and the Rashiva said, Yeish kainai lama b'sha'achas. Who knows, maybe that's the Shah. That's the Shah that you kainai lama. We see what could we accomplish in one hour. People go, and we have time, you know. The saying goes, you know, to, to kill time. How literal that is. The Chavetz Chaim used to say, there used to be something called a postcard. It was a whole system that they had. But you send a postcard because it was cheaper than a letter. They used to have something called a letter also. You write it on a, it was on a, it looked like an iPhone actually, but it was paper. And you'd write on it. And you would put a stamp on it and put it in the mailbox. Anytime you look at it, in the beginning it says, Hi, how are you? In big letters, Hi, how are you? Everything's great. How's the weather? The weather is fine over here. And as you get towards the end, you see the writing gets smaller. And then the more important things, you're running out of space, you start to write on the side of the paper, and then going up with an arrow, go to this side. The Chavetz Chaim says, why do you do that? Why don't you just start writing? You know, stop saying the weather's so nice. That's not why you're writing the postcard. And write the important stuff. So the answer is because you have a piece of paper. It's blank. You have so much, so much space. You start to fill it up with Narish Kite. You're writing it big. And it only has to get towards the end. You start to write the important stuff. And you try to fit everything in. Said the Chavetz Chaim, that's what our life is. We start off, we have so much time. Plenty of time, plenty of time. And we fill it with Narashkite. Then as we get older, we start to see the end. We start to do the important stuff. And we try to start to try to fit everything in. Yesh Kanyalom B'Sha'achas. should never give up those shows. The Kinnah continues. The Kinnah continues with Rav Yeshev HaSefer. He was murdered while reciting Shema. They did not permit anyone to bury him. And the dogs took him, and they ran around with his dog. The dogs ran around with his body until the body fell apart. Afterwards came 
he would teach everything, he would give the drush of the Rabban and explain everything. And he was very, very uh, a Kaddishic, a person so Kaddish that the birds would fly over him. That's what said the birds would burn just flying over him. He was one day shy of his 130th birthday. He said, please let me stay alive one more day. Not because he just don't want to live. He wants to say Shema for 130 full day, years. And instead of that, they said, you want to say Shema? They ripped out his tongue. They threw his tongue. And then afterwards, when he was in pain, they, they killed him as he was watching the pigs eat his own tongue. Continues on, of Lazar ben Shumua. He was killed at 105. Rechnina ben Chachinoi. Rehuda ben Dima. And the Kinnik ends off with comforting words. Finally, at the end of all this tragedy, the kin ends off with Hashem, please show us your kindness and never again make us suffer. And the days of your mourning should come, should come to an end. What lesson are we meant to learn from this? Yechezkel Levenstein would always say we have two things left from the Churban. We have the Kaisel HaMaravi and Sinas Chinam. What are the two things we have left? And as long as we keep the Sinas Chinam, all we're going to have is a Kaislam Aravi. If we want to get rid of just having the Kaislam Aravi, we have to get the Sinas, get rid of the Sinas Chinam. As we said, we have to say no matter who, no matter why, no Sinas Chinam. If Sometimes people say, you know what? So I won't have sinas kinam, but look at that person, look what he's doing wrong. I'm going to work on myself, and that's not the right way. If there are tzaddikim getting killed, it's strafus of a base amigdash. When we hear the death of a tzaddik, we have to imagine again that the base amigdash was destroyed. Because that's where all our tragedies come from, is a base amigdash. There was a neighborhood in Venebrak that was suffering a string of tragedies, one after the other. Terrible, terrible tragedies. And they came to Reinleif Steinman, a group of people who were representatives of the community, and we want to do something. So Reinleif says, what do you have in mind? He said, well, we had a big meeting, and we came up with a few suggestions. We want to ask you which ones. What were your suggestions? Some said we should have an Arab Shabbos Kail. We should bring in Shabbos properly. Others said we should have a Shemir Shabbos campaign. Others said we have to work on Sneas, on the way that ladies are dressing. And different things came up. Other people said we should talk at different things. And Ryan Leib said, I'll tell you what, if you really want to go and do something, you should all be macabre upon yourselves. That when one of your neighbors wants to make an addition to their apartment, nobody should protest. What he was telling them was, very nice to work on your main Adam, Lamakai, but leave that between you and Hashem. But when you want to affect others, start to work on your main Adam, Lamakai. All the other things are nice and important. But if you want to stop the tragedies that come from the Shairish of the Beis Hamikdash, we have to stop saying all we have left from the Beis Hamikdash is the Kaisa Maravi and the Sina Skinam. And therefore, no matter why, no matter what, we can't have any Sina Skinam. And this we won't have to sit on the floor anymore.
He came to him and says, Why could you? How could you just lie still? Do you see what's going on? Your children are being sent to Golis, and their houses are being destroyed. And where is this Chusavais? He went to Marsam Apelad. Davening to the obvious that they should do something. This kina, also written by Ravalajah Kalir, describes how frustrated Yermio was. As we said earlier, Yermio was saying the for over 40 years. And Yermio was not a very popular Navi. The people hated him. He came from the city of Anasais, and they ran him out of the city. And wherever Yermio went, they would chase after him. And that's because he kept on saying it's going to be destroyed. And nobody believed him. And they kept on their ways. They had the base of English. We have our Kahanam. We have everything. Until Hashem said, okay, we're going to try something new. Go and write down Megillus Eicha. And Megillus Eicha was written before the Churban happened. He wrote down Perak Aleph, Perak Bez, and Perak Dalid. To show Kleisol in real time, sort of, this is what's going to be if we don't go and if we don't fix this up. And that didn't prevent them from continuing to do what they were doing. At that time, however, the king went and he decided he had enough of this. And he says, What's this? What's this Navua? And he went and he threw him in jail. He threw him in jail. He didn't want to hear the Navua anymore. So he went through his son, through his, through he, had a, he had a Talmud of Baruch ben Nariya, and he told him to go and to, to continue this, to continue saying this Nebuah. And the king at that time was in his summer palace, and he says, what's this Nebuah? And as we said yesterday in the beginning of Eicha, the Pasuk would say, he starts to tell him what he wrote. Eicha Yashav of Adad. Yerushalayim will sit by itself alone. He says, who cares as long as I'm king? They're going to cry at night. He says, who cares as long as I'm still king? They're going to be sent out. Ah, not everyone will be sent out. I'll still be king. He continues, All the, the roadways will be filled with people crying in mourning. I'll still be king. His enemies will be in charge. He says, no, that can happen. I have to remain king. And he ripped it up, even though it had Hashem's name in it, and he threw it in, he threw it in the fire. And that, at that point, he added, the Yermio added the, 
paragimel of what's going to happen. The Chidah tells us, the Sefer Nachal Eshkel, a frightening thing. He says, Yirmiyahu was a childhood friend of Nebuchadnezzar. They knew each other. And one day, Yirmiyahu and Nebuchadnezzar were walking, there were children, they were walking together. And Nebuchadnezzar turns to Yirmiyahu and says, You know what? When I grow up, I think I'm going to destroy Yerushalayim. He said, Really? He says, Yeah. Not only that, I'm going to destroy the base of Migdash. Really? He says, yeah, and I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to burn it down and kill everybody. He says, why are you going to do that? He says, that's what I want to do. So Yermio says, you know what? You're my friend, right? He goes, yeah. He goes, save me something. Save me something. He says, no, nothing. He says, I thought you were my friend. You're going to destroy so much, you won't save me anything. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do for you. From when I start destroying it that day until the evening, whatever you can save, I'll let you save. I won't touch. That's what he tells him. Sure enough, one day, Akash Baruch comes to Yermiyahu and says, I want you to go to Anasais. I want you to give them Musr. Yermiyahu knew Anasais very well. That was his hometown. It was very difficult for him to go there, but Hashem said to go, so he went there. He went to Anasais, he gave them Musr, and he comes back, and he sees smoke coming out of the Makkah Migdash. He was very happy. He says, oh, Baruch Hashem, they brought the carbon Tamid. But it was only as he got closer that he realized... This wasn't the carbon tumid, that was the base similarish being being destroyed. And he said, I get to see now on the on the Navi that sees the base similarish being destroyed. And that was the frustration that he has. And he saw footprints, bloody footprints, of the Yidden being taken away. And he ran after them and he finds them finally by the Euphrates River. The Bukhanetzer said, Don't let them stop walking. Because if they stop walking, they're gonna daven. And if they daven, their God's going to listen to them. He told his soldiers, anyone who stops to daven, rip them apart limb by limb. And therefore they didn't stop, they kept on walking. Finally, by Nahar Paras, they got to stop. And Nebuchadnezzar said, once they're out of Eretz Yisrael, Hashem will listen to them anymore. But Yermiyahu and Avi followed their footsteps, and he found them by Nahar Paras. And he came inside, and he saw them there. And they started crying, and they hugging him. And after a little while, he turns to go back. He says, Yermiyahu, where are you going? So they have to go back to Yerushalayim. Hashem said, I have to go back to Yerushalayim. He says, what's going to be with us? And they started to cry. And Yerushalayim said, I swear, if you would have cried one tear in Eretz Yisrael, this wouldn't have happened. That's what says, Al Nares Bavel, Shom Yosham Nugam Bachinu. There we sat and we cried, but we did not cry at all in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore we didn't believe it would happen, and we didn't change our ways. These are stories I heard growing up from my parents, from others, about the Holocaust. People would come. My mother would tell me that she lives in Budapest. And, and there were and some refugees who were hiding with them from Poland. And she remembers once she was in the kitchen and her mother was serving them some tea and some cake. And they kept on telling her, Aunt Lof, Aunt Lof, run away. You have to run away. The Nazis are coming. And her mother would tell them, oh, okay, okay, okay. You want another piece of cake? Like, we're Hungarians. It's not going to happen to us. And the terror in their eyes, telling them, no, we saw it, it's going to happen. And yet nobody would believe it. And that's how Yermio went through, telling us what's going to be. And we never listened. And the kinna goes on, how he went to Avram Avinu, and he says, help your children. And Avram Davin to Hashem, what happened to everything that I did? And Hashem said, no. And Yitzhak tried, and Yaakov tried, and all the always tried. And no one. Hashem did all this to any of them. And we know how the Navi tells us, finally, 
Rachel Davins. And Rachel says, Hashem, where are my children? Sending them to Gaulus. Why are they going to Gaulus? And she says, you're jealous of your children. What do they do? They were dealing with, with gold and silver and rocks. That's what you're jealous of. I overcame my jealousy for my sister. And I gave her the coat so she could marry Yaakov. Thinking I'll never get to marry him. And I wasn't jealous. You too be mevater. And Hashem says those words, Kayamar Hashem, Kol Nishma, Rachel Mavaka Benar, Rachel's crying for her children. Kayamar Hashem, Nikalech Mi Bechi, you can stop crying. Ki Esachar Lefulaseich, Numa Hashem, Veshalom Eretzayah, they will come back. And therefore they're able to come back. It's a well known Kasha for the Chassam Seifer. He says, What exactly did Rachel gain? Rachel got that Hashem said they'll take him back? After all, every Navi said that you're going to be sent to Gaul, so you're going to be taken back. What was new that Rachel accomplished? In the Chumash itself, it says we're going to be sent out, but we're going to be taken back. Hashem is going to pick us back from all four quarters of the world. What is gained by what the Navi, what Hashem responded to Rachel? Hashem said, that's true. When all the other Nevi'im said that when Hashem would come back, build the base of Migdash, bring down the base of Migdash, and then bring us back. What the accomplishment of Rachel was, however, is that we will get to come back before the Gula is ready. We will get to get Sezah Chassam Sayyid for 250 years ago. We will get to come back to Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael will accept us back before the base of is rebuilt and before the Gula is ready. And what's the advantage of that? The advantage of that is you'll be able to show as we come from all four corners of the world, says the Chassam Sefer. When Eretz Yisrael, that time you couldn't get a minion in Eretz Yisrael. Says the Chassam Sefer, we're going to come back from all corners of the world and we're going to get along together. And when we get along together, the Gula will happen quicker. And that is what Rachel Eif did. Her Eif was, what she gained was, it would come to Eretz Yisrael before all this happens. And as we see today, starting already years ago, Jews of Europe, Jews of Russia, Jews from around the world are going back to Eretz Yisrael, accepting us in Eretz Yisrael. We still need the Beis Hamilish in Eretz Yisrael. We still need the Shekhinah in Eretz Yisrael for us. Mikhas Elazar in his last years wasn't well, but he had his own private minion. And he davened just a few people. One of the people who davened his minion, his grand, he had a grandson who davened with him. And when it came to Elul, the Reb himself blew Shafer. And his grandson enjoyed it very much. He would tell him, blow again, blow again. He loved to watch his grandfather blow. And his grandfather blow again. It came here of Rosh Hashanah. They finished davening. And he didn't blow Shaifer. He says, Zaid, he blow Shaifer. He says, no, you can't blow Shaifer today. Minig starts to explain to him. He's a three-year-old kid. He explained to him. It didn't work. And the kid throws himself on the floor. He starts to throw a tantrum. He's banging. Please, Zaid, blow. So he went and he blew the Shaifer. Next day in Rosh Hashanah, he gets up to speak before Hashanah, before Tikkias. He says, Rabbi, I have to admit to something. The meaning is, Kai Sonatabu Shaifer, yes, I blew Shaifer. He says, Over Rabbi let me tell you why I blew Shaifer. I wasn't going to blow, that's the meaning. But my little Einikel was on the floor begging and screaming, Zaidi, blow Shaifer. And I, I couldn't hold back. I had to give in to him. And he looked at his kill and he said, Rabbi, he said, if we would be on the floor banging and kicking, saying, Hashem, blow Shaifer, to Kaaba Shaifer Gadol, blow that great Shaifer to bring us back, no doubt Hashem will listen. What we need to do is to talk a blow that Shaifer, as the Chovetz Chaim writes, 
because it's not enough to ask for Mashiach. He writes an introduction to the Siddur. Chavetz Chaim says, we have to demand that Hashem should send Mashiach to us. That's what we can do. So we don't have to have this crying anymore. When we say it, we're going to stand up afterwards and, and sing it together. A fire of, of, of happiness burnt in me when I left Mitzrayim. However, how I cried when I remember how I left Yerushalayim. This kin is a study in contrast of how happy we were and how excited we were as a young nation leaving Mitzrayim, going to Eretz Yisrael, receiving the terror and being the nation of Hashem. How happy we were, how excited we were. As Yashir Moshe Shirla Yinasha, he's saying as Yashir, a, a song that should not be forgotten, but tasting in Mitzrayim. Then the Yikain in Yermiyov and on the Hinehiyah, but tasting in And as the, the crying of Yermiyov when we left. And that's what it goes back and forth, how happy we were when we left Mitzrayim and how sad we were when we left Yerushalayim. Then the kinna ends on an uplifting note. We had the Torah 
and happy and the, the, the vessels when we left Mitzrayim Sosin v'simcha v'nos yongin v'anacha b'yishuvi Yerushalayim how happy and glad and joy we will be when we return to Yerushalayim and the study of contrast our job really is to get from Mitzayim Yerushalayim to b'yishuvi Yerushalayim how do we get from leaving Yerushalayim to going back to Yerushalayim and it actually points to 22 different things of the differences that we had. You know, we know that in, in, in Spain, in 1492, when the Eden were kicked out, the Inquisition didn't happen overnight. It took over a period of 10 years. Like Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand tried to get the Eden out. And the, Sinis, the, the Sancino family from Italy would constantly bribe them to push it off and push it off. And they finally came to point, they said, in March... They said, no way, that's it, March 1492, they have to leave. And they tried this, they tried that, pushing it off, and ultimately it came to August 2nd, 1492, when they were sent out, which was Yom Kippur, which was Tishabov. They tried to sell their stuff, nobody wanted to buy it, because they knew they were leaving anyways. And as they were leaving, the guy who were coming over to them and pretending to be so sad, why are you leaving? All you have to do is believe in our religion and you keep all your wealth. At that point, the Barbanel was there, and the Barbanel told some musicians to start singing and playing music. He said, how can we play music? It's Tishabov. And he was really frightened that some people, such terrible things going on, would succumb and give in and, and, and stay, chas b'shalom. But he told them, he says, a yid only cries when they leave Eretz Yisrael, when we're kicked out of Eretz Yisrael. A yid doesn't cry when he's kicked out of one place in Gaulis to another place in Gaulis. Our place is in Eretz Yisrael, a yid only cries when he goes, when he's kicked out of Chavashom, out of Eretz Yisrael. In Eicha, it tells us how bad it was in Mitzrayim. There was a, the men had to go and make a certain quota of bricks. At one point there was a lady, she was helping her husband make the bricks. The Mitzrayim went, they would put in thorns inside inside the straw, so when they work it, their hands should bleed. The Nazis learned from them too. On the death march, they put in, in their bread, they put in water, flour, sawdust, that's everyone's bread, and they also put in shards of glass, little pieces of glass inside their bread. They learned it from the Mitzrayim. The Mitzrayim put in these thorns, and this lady was mixing the dough the, 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 to, make, to make the clay, to make the bricks, and she was pregnant, and at that point, she gave birth. The baby fell into the mixture, but they were so frightened they couldn't stop working, and the baby was baked into the brick by their own parents. A Amalek came and took this brick and brought it off to Shemaim. It says, Hashem, this is what's happening to your children. And Hashem took the brick, and He put it by His throne, and He used it as a stool by His throne to keep it there. And the Sefer Lechem Dima tells us that every time Hashem got angry at us and wanted to punish us, and He would look down, He would see that brick, and he would hold himself back. Christ already went through enough. Except when it came to the Khurban, the Pastor tells us he took the brick and he threw it down. As we said in Eicha, Hashem looks down, Hashem looked at the, the glory of Yisrael, and he did not want to remember his anger on that day. And he threw down the brick. And that is why this was able to happen to us. When Kleisel is on top, we are very, very high. The Gemara Ksubis tells us, the Gemara Ksubis tells us that at one point, Rav Yechim and Zaki was traveling with his Talmidim, and it was a famine, and they passed by, they saw a lady. 
this lady was going through the dung, the excrement of a donkey. She was looking for something to eat. And he comes by and she sees him. She tries to straighten herself up and make her look presentable. And he recognizes this lady. He says, who are you, Basmiat? He says, you don't remember me? He says, I am the daughter of Nakdiman ben Gurion. And he turns, and he turns to his, Rav Yechim Zaki turns to his Talmidim and says, you know, I was by the chasna of this girl. I signed her tzuba. On her tzuba was hundreds of millions of dollars in today's value on her tzuba. And look what she resorts to. Rav Yechim Zaki said, however, he's happy. He says, because if this is what happens to a nation that the Baruch Hu loves, because when they do good, they're the highest of the high. When they do low, they're the lowest of the low. And that is the Skinner. The Skinner goes through the contrast of how good we had it and then how bad we had it. And our job is to go from Mitzayim Yerushalayim, from Mitzayim Yerushalayim to Mishuv Yerushalayim. How do we do it? The Chavetz Chaim would often say, waiting for the Gula is not like waiting for a train. You're waiting for the train and you just wait. Some people think there's a way to get the train to come faster or the bus, right? You, stop, you step off, you look, oh, maybe it's coming now. It doesn't make it come faster. So, Waiting for the ghoul is not like waiting for the train. He said that a person has to accomplish, there are things that we can accomplish that we cannot accomplish once Mashiach comes. He said someone who is a Kayan, who's not a Kayan, will never bring the Vaida. But somebody like me, I could do the Vaida in the Kayyash Akadamshim. Because when I daven that Vaida, it's as if I did it. Every day we daven Karbanas, it's as if I'm being the carbon. Once Mashiach comes, the Kahanam get to do it. I'm never going to be a Kayan. So this is what I have to accomplish. There's diving that I can do now that I can accomplish more than when Mashiach comes. And the Chavetz Chaim said how important it is to use the time now, not just to wait for Mashiach, but to make sure we accomplish what we are meant to accomplish. There was a person who was by Hasna, and right after the Vedek, and he went to the Chuppah room, he says, Why should I waste my time? Let me go to the Chuppah room, it's quiet, I can learn a little. And he walks inside and he sees there's someone else sitting there. So an older man, he walks over to the person to say Mazlatov to him. He's about to stick out his hand to say Mazlatov. He sees a person sitting there, an elderly man, with, with tears coming down. He says, everything okay? He goes, yeah, everything's fine. So he hops. It must be, you know, he's happy. He's a relative. Tears of joy. So ah, so the tears of joy? He goes, no, they're not tears of joy. Not tears of joy. Not upset. Well, what's going on? It's a long story. So you want to hear it? He goes, yeah, I'll tell you. So he sits down. He starts to tell me. He says, you know, I was in Auschwitz. My family was taken, my friends were all taken to Auschwitz. And right away my parents were killed. But me and my friends, we stayed alive a little longer. But it was getting terrible. We were starving. Some of my friends just ran to the fence. They touched the fence and it was all over. And I knew that was such a good idea because I couldn't handle it anymore. And quite a few times I walked over to the fence. And then I saw a picture of my father. I said, I'm not allowed to do that. I didn't do it. One day, I was walking towards the barracks and I collapsed. It was very cold, it was freezing, I was starving, and I needed something to eat, I had nothing to eat, and I collapsed. I was lying there on the ice, I couldn't get up, and I knew that was it. I knew that was it, I said, Shema, and then all of a sudden, I started to see somebody, it must have been a dream. I see an old man come over to me, he said, what are you doing, why are you on the floor? I said, because I'm starving, I can't get up. He said, why don't you eat something, I have no food. Did you dive into Hashem? He says, okay, you know what? You're right, let me dive into Hashem. I dive into Hashem for a slice of bread. So the person looks at me and says, you believe that Hashem can give you a slice of bread in Auschwitz? 
I said, yeah, I believe Hashem can give me a slice of bread in Auschwitz. He says, you're a fool. I said, I'm a fool. Why am I a fool? He says, if you believe Hashem can give you one slice of bread, why don't you dive into Hashem to give you a loaf of bread? It's a loaf of bread in Auschwitz. Who has a loaf? You don't believe Hashem can do it? So I dive in for a loaf of bread. Then a person looks at me and says, you're a fool. He says, why am I a fool? He says, why are you diving for a loaf of bread? Why aren't you diving to get out of here? So I pointed to the chimneys. I said, that's the only way you get out of Auschwitz. He says, you don't believe Hashem can get you out of here? He says, no, you're right. And I dive and I should get out of here. And the person says, you're a fool. I said, now what? He says, don't you want to get out of here? Don't you want to get married? To get married? Thinking about getting married. I... And this went on. Why aren't you diving to have children? Don't you want to have children? So I dive to have children. Don't you want healthy children? I dive for healthy children. Don't you want to see those children get married? Yes, and I dive for that. Don't you want to see those children have their own families? Don't you want to see them by, the, by their chasas? I dive for that too. I dive for all those things. The next thing I knew, someone must have carried him inside the barracks. And a few days later, we were liberated. And I had what to eat, and I was saved, and I got married, and I had children. And he turns to this person, he says, and now I'm sitting by the chasna of my oldest grandchild, my granddaughter's about to get married. These are tears of gratitude. That's what these are tears. But what we see from the story is that Hashem doesn't put you somewhere just to get you out. Hashem doesn't take you with one hand, throw you up in the air, you're all nervous, and then He catches you. Hashem doesn't do that. If Hashem puts you somewhere, He doesn't put you somewhere just to get out of it. He doesn't put an obstacle in your way just to be in your way. If there's an obstacle in your way, you have to use it as a stepping stone. If Hashem put you somewhere because there's something you could accomplish, we are in a unique situation now. Even though it's for 2,000 years, this is not how it's supposed to be. We are in a weird position. We are in Gaulus. We're not supposed to be here. If we are in an unusual situation, says the Chavetz Chaim, it's because we have an opportunity to daven. And that's what we're supposed to be doing, to daven to Hashem, to bring us home. And I'll stand and we'll sing h 2 Kad. Yerushalayim, <laughs> Yerushalayim, 
Mitzrayim Acherev letusho Letevach netusho Betzeisim Yerushalayim Zevach umincho Veshemen amishcho Teisim imitzrayim Tzkulach elekucho Ketzoin letivcho Betzeisim Yerushalayim Chagim veshabos Aisum oifesim veoisais Teisim imitzrayim Tanis veevel Rodoif ahevel Teisim yerushalayim Toivel oiholim Arbaadigolim Teisim imitzrayim Vale yishmeelim Omachanais arelim Teisim yerushalayim Yoivel ushmito Ve'eret shoyketo Teisim imitzrayim Macholat misos Vecholos vechosos Teisim yerushalayim Kapoires v'arain V'avnei zikorain Teisim imitrayim V'avnei akalo Chlei abalo Teisim yerushalayim Levim v'aroinim V'shivim zikainim Teisim imitrayim Noiksim umayinim Amoichirim v'koyinim Teisim yerushalayim Moshe yerenu V'aroin yanchenu Teisim imitrayim Yerushalayim <laughs> saying it's Kinalama Dalid. It's a half hour to Chatzais. Noah tells us, Rashi tells us that uh, if Mashiach comes on Tishabov, if he comes before Chatzais, the fast does not continue. If he comes after Chatzais, the fast continues to the end. 
It's a little incentive. We can still get Mashiach to come in the next half hour. Have a nice flesh of Kiddush. A lot of people, that's a big incentive, as it should be, to whatever we can do to end this. Kinnah Lamadalid. Like the other kinnahs are frightening kinnah. Yimachbi Ichpadati Yichpila Evaini. This is a day I increased my burden with Sholchi Yod Bedam Navi Bechatu Al Mikdash Hashem. I stretched out my hand to spill the blood of the Navi. Like he saw Adama Adbay Cherav Maini. Like Shakat Adi Hukam Dama Navi Zacharya. Imagine this kina was also was written by Rehuda Levi. While the other kinnahs describe what happened to us, this kina we describe what we did. That is, we killed Zechari ben Yayada Novi. In one instant, Klaisho became guilty of seven of heirs, murder, murder of a Kayan, murder of a Novi, murder of a Shaifet, in the Chatz of the Beis Migdash, on Yom Kippur, on Shabbos. This is what Klaisho did. So when we think of ourselves how bad we are, Baruch Hashem, we're nowhere near that. Or so we would like to think. Because the kinna goes on, describing, as we'll describe in a moment from the Gemara and Gittin, it goes through the whole story, that we didn't like his nevuah, so we killed him. We think that if you go and you kill somebody, it goes unnoticed, and then you're safe. The Gemara tells us what happened was, when the general of Uzzaradan came, and he comes into the base of Migdash, and he sees a pile of blood, and it's bubbling. He says, Mativi, what, what is this? My hi, what's going on? They said, what do you mean? <laughs> There's a base in English. What do you think we do here? It's not an office building. We shucked animals. This, he says, really? He had a goat brought, and he compared the blood of the goat, not the same blood. He brought the blood of, of, of a sheep. He brought different animals. He says, sorry, this is not that blood. Tell me what it is. So they had no choice. And they said, Novi Hoya Khan, Dahavi Khan, Maizrachli, Bemule, Deshmaya. There was a Novi over here, and he would constantly bother us. So how do you deal with the Navi constantly bothers you? We got up and we killed him. But it's many, many years later and the blood is still bubbling. No problem. I am going to be them. I'm going to go and appease him. And he brought the Sanhedrin, Hagadol, and the, the small Sanhedrin, and he killed them. And he put the blood there and nothing happened. It didn't stop. He says, okay, I'm going to bring the blood. Uh, he killed 80,000 children. The blood didn't, and he mixed the blood there, it didn't stop. Then he brought the base Rabban, Katan Ali He brought the little school children. He killed them, and the blood still was boiling, didn't stop. Omar Lay. Zachariah, Zachariah. Taivin Shebeheni Baratem. I killed your finest. You want me to kill everybody? At that point, Hachinach, it stopped. At that point, here tshuva daite. If Uzzaradan had to hear tshuva, if this was going on, umayim nafal echad bach. If this what happens when you kill one person, what's going to be that person? The kotel kol hani alachas. What's going to be to me who killed so many people? Kama v'kama. What do you do? Arak, he ran away. Also shot a star part of him and say he gave his family final instructions and he became a ger. What did he even think? If you don't like what he's telling you, do tshuva. Well, the problem is doing tshuva makes it go away. But not doing tshuva doesn't make it go away. Ignoring it doesn't go away. 
That's what this kin is teaching us. You cannot go and build a beautiful edifice on a rotten foundation. You thought because 250 years passed that nothing will happen. It doesn't matter. This blood will boil until it's avenged. Either Klaus does tshuva or it's avenged. And it was avenged and the base of was destroyed. And what the skin is teaching us that no matter any amount of tears that we give, nothing will take the place of fixing the foundation. If someone has something that they have to fix, we can sit here and we can cry and take things upon ourselves. But if we don't want to be here next year, Tisha B'Av, we have to think, is there someone out there whose blood is boiling because of something that we did? Because if someone's out there whose blood is boiling because of what we did, tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy, Lailena will come until it's avenged. But we don't need to kill people to do it. We can do tshuva. Very often it's just a matter of acknowledging and apologizing. You know, they say teeth is the only issue that if you ignore it, it'll go away. Every other problem you ignore and it gets worse and worse. It doesn't go away. But 40 years ago, there was a, a couple who was dealing with terrible tragedies. They were married, they had children. And every time the children turned around 8 or 9 years old, they started to have difficulties. One child got sick. Another child having a problem in school. Another, prior, another child, as you're getting on, decided to, to leave Yiddishkeit. Every child was having an issue. And every time you go to his rabbi, what, what am I doing wrong? What's going on? He said, I don't know. I don't know. It's a problem. At one point, he went there to Yisrael. So he's 40 years ago. He went to the stipler. And he told the stipler what's going on. So the stipler looks at him and says, did you ever hurt an 8 or 9 year old boy? He says, no, I don't know. He says, never? He says, no. He says, well, you must have, because that's why this is happening. Think about it, and you'll, you'll see why. And he, and he left. He came back, he speaking to his wife, and also he remembered. When he first got married, he was in yeshivas in Kailo, and there was a yeshiva near where they were learning, and the Rebbe, it didn't work out, it was towards the end of the year, about six weeks left of the year, and the Rebbe quit. And they were stuck, they needed, sad to say, they needed a body in the room. So the Manal knew this guy, he says, do me a favor, you have to. He goes, I don't know anything about Chinuch, you got to be in the room. So I was there, and I tried to teach. There was one kid there who was a Chavraman, and he thought he would get the better of me, and he was making me nuts. So I put him in his place. I embarrassed him, I embarrassed him, I embarrassed him, until he finally stopped. So it worked. Now this person is thinking 40 years later, he says, maybe it worked, but maybe it worked too well. Look what damage that I caused. Maybe that's what the stipend was referring to. So he tracked down one of the kids from the class, who was now a grown adult. He said, you remember me? He goes, yeah, I remember you. We came down the year, we had a good time with you. He says, yeah, he goes, you know, how is so-and-so doing? He said, oh, the kid's not doing well. He's not doing well, he's married, but he's having some issues. Anyways, he tracks down this person. He realized he only lived about 20 minutes from his house. This was in the tri-state area. And he goes to the house, he knocks on the door. And sure enough, this lady answers, yes, can I help you? He says, I'm here to see so-and-so. We'll call him Ruvain, here to see Ruvain. Okay, Ruvain comes out, and he sees him. He says, Shalom Aleichem. He goes, Aleichem Shalom. He goes, you remember me? He goes, yeah, I remember you. And he says, you know, he starts to speak to him, and he says, you know, I went to class, I wasn't experienced. I probably said some things I should have said, I want to ask you for Mechilo. He says, you probably said some things you shouldn't have said. You said a lot of things you shouldn't have said. It caused me terrible harm. I can't be Mechilo. No, seriously, it's not a game. It's not before you get killed. You have to be with me because there's terrible things happening to me. He said, you have no idea how much anguish and pain you caused me. I had to go to a therapist. I had to speak. I had problems when I, when I first got married. Boshem, it's okay now. But you caused me so much pain. I can't be with you like that. 
and he walks inside and he closes his door. This person thought this was, you know, a perfunctionary thing. You go to ask Michiel and they say, yeah, I don't even remember, it'll be fine. But it's not what happened. This was serious. Thinking about his kids, he mamash collapsed on the doorstop, on the step, and he burst out crying, and he was crying and crying. He realized that his life will just not get back. He was crying there, he said, for over 45 minutes. He never cried for so long in his life. After 45 minutes, the door opens up, and the, the student, the Tamil, was standing there, and he looks at him. He says, you're still here? He says, you're crying for 45 minutes, you must really want to ask for Mechila. The guy looks at me, he's begging, he says, please, please be mechli, you have no idea what I'm going through. He says, I'll be you if you ask for mechila the same way you did what you did to me. He says, what, what are you talking about? He said, there must have been, I don't remember, 18, 20 kids in a class. If you ask mechila in front of them, I'll be mechliyu. He says, years later, that's what I can do for you. Otherwise, it's not going to be real. Long story short, he went to the yeshiva, he got hold of the list, he tracked everybody down. Most of them lived in the tri-state area, a few out of town, and a few in Eretz Yisrael. He told them what was going on. It was very, very embarrassing. But they all agreed to come. He'll pay for all. They'll all come in. And he'll ask for Mechila. He made a cheshman 40 years ago. It cost about $25,000. He couldn't do it. He went to his rav. He asked his rav, what should, do I, Am I Mechuyiv to do this? He said, I don't know. Go back to the stipler. He asked a friend of his who lived in Eretz to go to the stipler and ask him what to do. The stifle responded as follows. He said, if you were driving a car, and by mistake, a kid runs out in front of you, and you hit the kid, and you killed him. And the police come, there's an investigation, and you say, it was a mistake. And they say, no, you're driving too fast. And now you have to go to court. You know you're innocent. Would you hire an attorney if he cost you $25,000 to defend you? Of course you would. You don't want to sit in jail for 10 years. It was a mistake, but you're going to hire an attorney for $25,000. He says, you think... That in Shemayim, after Mevesim, this is not going to come up. You better go do what you have to do. And he went and he got everyone together and he asked for Mechila. And things got better. But what you see from here is, you can't ignore things. They don't go away. We see from here, the blood of, Zach- of the Navi was boiling and boiling. And it did not get fixed until the Churban happened. Why? Because we didn't do true. We didn't like what he was telling us. If we want to go and to stop this from happening, from the only way we can do it is to think about is there anyone else's blood that we spilled, whose blood is boiling, that we have to take care of. Once we take care of that, only then will Hashem bring us home.
will be saying Kinalamid Vav. Siyan Ali Sishali, Lusoyim Sirayach, Darshay Shomach, Vahim Yasser Darayach. This Kina was written by Ruda, a lady, his desire and his longing to go live in Eretz Yisrael. Written approximately 900 years ago. Ada, the next kinnis, are called the, they, they call it Siyanim, because these are the kinnis that we express our longing to go, to go back home, to go to Eretz Yisrael. Because Baruch to bring us back. This is Rehuda Levi Rotis, and he explains what happened in the Sefer in the Kuzari. He writes that one time a king went, and he wanted to decide what's the what's the real religion. And he brought together a Muslim, a Christian, and a Yid, who was Rehuda Levi, and they had a debate. The states of Rehuda Levi made it very clear, and he won the debate. And the king looks at him and says, "You know." I have one question for you. Everything you said sounds so convincing. If that's the case, why are you here? Why aren't you in Eretz Yisrael? And as he writes in the Kuzari, he said, I had an answer for every question they asked me, except for that one. For that one, I did not have an answer. And he made his way to Eretz Yisrael. It's not clear exactly what happened, if he ended up in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, or if he made it to Eretz Yisrael. When he got there, he got off his horse, and he bent down to kiss the ground, and an Arab came and trampled him, and he died in Eretz Yisrael. But this is really the bookend of how we started, how we got here in the first place. We got in the first place listening to the Miraglim. We saw in last week's parasha we just said that if not for the Miraglim, we would have gone to Eretz Yisrael, there wouldn't have been a war. And yet, now, we have the ability to, to realize what happened and to think we have to go back to Eretz Yisrael how it has to happen to go back. It says, I, I long for the base of Migdash. I long for Hashem. We know we say, we say it's a land that's very desirous, and it's a land that's wide and expansive. As we explained, what do you mean it's wide and expansive? Eretz Yisrael is anything but big. As we explained, Eretz Yisrael is really a line on a map. If you look close, you'll see it's not a line. It's, it's really a country, but it takes up no space. And he says, say somebody tells you, I'm a very rich person. He goes, why are you so rich? He goes, I own an acre of property. He says, really? He goes, yeah. Where do you own an acre of property? In Montana. He says, wow, you can buy a can of soda for that. But if he owns it in midtown Manhattan, he's a lot wealthier. It's the same earth, but it matters where it is. Eretz Yisrael is a very, very precious place to Kaddish Baruch Hu, and therefore Eretz Yisrael, every inch, every inch is so valuable. We say in the Kinnah, Who can make for me wings that I can wander far away? You wonder what Yehuda Levi thought when he wrote this 900 years ago. Today we know what it means to get on a plane and fly to Eretz Yisrael. But Yehuda Levi never answered the second part and stay there because it was obvious. But today, we can get in a plane and fly to Eretz Yisrael and we can get in a plane and fly right back. The void is somehow, somehow to stay there. Of course, every person has their paisik and every year I'm sure they ask the question, should we go? Many people can't go. We have parents here, chinuch, pernasa, citizen issues. could be many things. But as we say in the kinah, chay nishomis evi the, the, the breath of life should be the, the, the air of your land. 
The center of our life should be Eretz Yisrael. We're constantly asking, no, what's going on in Eretz Yisrael? We're asking what's going on in Eretz Yisrael because we care about Eretz Yisrael. That's why we ask. We don't get up every morning and say, so what's going on in Taiwan? We ask what's going on in Eretz Yisrael because we care about Eretz Yisrael. And a person should realize, how could I get there? Sometimes they can't. Sometimes they're not Zaycha, but sometimes we could. What does it mean? The breath of our life. We want the Eretz Yisrael. We said over in the past, there was a Mashulach from Eretz Yisrael. He was collecting money. He ended up in Baltimore for Shabbos. He was by a family. And he was there for Shabbos. very nice. So they sang Shom Lech, and they sang Yashos Chayel. And then he's getting ready to make Kiddush. And all the kids went up to the father. So they're going to get a bracha. Very nice. But they went up to the father. And then they just went back to their seat. He says, oh, maybe the father is not giving them a bracha. Then he made Kiddush. And then they went back up, and now the father gave them a bracha. So during the meal, this guy asked the father, what's going on? You're angry at them? You're not angry? Bracha? No. It's not very simple. I give them a bracha after Kiddush. But before I make Kiddush, I always like to make Kiddush on a bottle of wine from Eretz Yisrael. The bottle is not filled to the top. There's always a little air left. So if your bottle of wine comes from Italy, so you have Italian air. If you're lucky enough, your bottle of Italy comes from the Bronx, so then you have Bronx air in your wine. If your wine comes from Eretz Yisrael, so you have air of Eretz Yisrael. So every week we open up a new bottle of wine from Eretz Yisrael, and all my children come up so we can all breathe in the air of Eretz Yisrael. As we say in the Kinnah, It's for real, if you really believe it. And this Meshul felt so low. He said, I live in Eretz Yisrael. Every single day, I don't forget, they breathe all the time. And I don't think how special it is I get to breathe the air in. So we too have the schools. We can go back and forth, back and forth. Last year we were reminded it's not so easy to go back and forth. Baruch Hashem was only temporary. But we have to remember how much Hashem is desiring for us to go to Eretz Yisrael. Just end with one thing on this, for this kinah. The Klezmiger Rebbe, he made many, many institutions. Very harsh institutions. He made 11 institutions, he said, one for each one of his murdered children. And he made tremendous institutions. Mifalashas, so many things he made. He said the most important thing in his eyes is he made Kiryatsans, that he, he added to the building of Eretz Yisrael. To him, that was the most Hashiv. And when they were building Eretz Yisrael, uh, uh, Kiryatsans, so it was a reporter from, from America, from reporter, Nissen Gordon. He says, Rebbe, what should I tell the Yidim back in America? He says, tell them to come. He says, but it's not so safe in Eretz Yisrael. Tell them Eretz Yisrael is always the safest place for a Yid. That's what the Klezmer Rebbe said. So you say this, Kinnah, you have to make sure that we don't feel the way Yudah Levi felt before he said it. Talk about Eretz Yisrael, but not think about it, but not try to go. We should feel how Yudah Levi felt after he wrote this, Kinnah, that I have to go and be there. See you in
Paskin will be saying together Kinnam Hey, which will sing, stand and sing. You know that the Kangadal after Yom Kippur would say, Yeshi Mashi Karasi Lefnechem Kasav Khan. After he finished laning, he would lane a little and he would say, There's more written here than what I have said. It's the same thing here. The schus to be involved with, with kinnis until chatzais. That's a minimum, not a maximum. Chas v'shalom. Shield doesn't come in the next few minutes. And the fast continues. The rest of the day should be used for the same thing. We cry for Tzion and for the cities of Yerushalayim. And it's compared to an Isha v'tzorea, a lady who's suffering from birth. From the birth pains. Why suffering from the birth pains? So we like to say over from Kahanamin, after after the war, there were a bunch of Bakr and Panovich, he was trying to get Panovich going in 1947. There was obviously no need to admire them and try to get them into the mood of crying. But he said, why do we compare it to a lady who's giving birth? The pain is great, but she knows that after the pain comes, she'll have a child. And we too, we cry for the base of Migdash. As we said earlier, we're not so much crying because the base of Migdash was destroyed. We're not crying for the destruction of the base of Migdash. But we are crying for the non-construction of the base of Migdash. As you know, any dar that the base of Migdash is not rebuilt, it's as if it was destroyed in that generation. People like to think, I like to think, you know, maybe I'm not good enough to have the base of Migdash rebuilt. But I'm not bad enough to have it destroyed. And Chazal tell us, no, if the basement is not rebuilt, it means it's destroyed. Which means if tomorrow morning there's a smell out there, it should not be a smell of barbecuing. You should think it's a smell. Mashiach didn't come. It's a smell of the basement is being burned. Any generation that's not rebuilt, that's our generation. It's as if it was destroyed. And therefore, we say over here, we don't cry for the, for the destruction of the base Midrash, we cry for the non-construction. Every one of us has the ability to make sure it is constructed. And how do we do that? So as we spoke about, we want to be honest, we have to get rid of the sin of Chinam. That's the only way we're going to do it. Everything else we can deal with between us and Hashem. There's no one else we can rely on. But you may think, so what? So I'm going to be good. Rechaim Kinyeski, I'm not going to be. And he was here last year, Tishabov. And we don't have the base of Migdash. So really it's going to make a difference if I say this word or don't say this word. I want to read to you. We know, there's a, it says, Mida Taiva Meruba, Mida Piranias. Chazal tell us that a good Mida is 500 times more than bad. If Hashem has to reward or punish, it's 500 times more good than it is bad. We learn out the destruction of the base of English happened because of 10 people. There were 12 spies, 10 of them came back at Debos Ra, gave a bad report, and because of that we lost everything. Where do we learn a, a minion from? The same place. We learn a minion from the same place. So imagine, if 10 people could destroy, how much more, 500 times more, 10 people could rebuild? Which means we don't need everyone to be perfect. We need a minion. If 10 people could destroy it for everyone, 10 people could rebuild it for everyone. And you know how we know that? Elio Zuta, Perik 
Ain Yisrael Nigolin, Yisrael will not be redeemed. Tsar, not because of Tsar. Shibud, from the government. Tiltol, Tiruf. Because of the, the pain and the stress. It's not because they don't have food. You know why we, we will be redeemed? There will be ten people. They will sit next to each other. They will, they will learn together, they will be together, and their voice will be heard. That is how we're going to get it back. All we need is ten people. All we need is one kehillah. One kehillah has to do it. And if, what does it mean one kehillah? Chavetz Chaim writes, you need one kinishta, one shul, one kehila. This is what If that one kehila will keep the meat of shalom the way it's supposed to be, the way it's supposed to be, Yechoyim Liskais will be as a Mashiach. Mashiach won't only come for them, it'll come for everybody. All you need is one kehila to do it. The biltam, because without that, the base of will remain destroyed forever. I guess that's what the word means. We need to have at least one kehillah, one group of people to get together. One group of people to get together and say, we will not have any sin of skin no matter what. No matter what the person does, that's not my business, that's Hashem's business. No matter why, no matter who. No sin of skin. They say over a person should realize himself, don't be a thermometer. Be a thermostat. A thermometer tells you the temperature of the room. A thermostat sets the temperature of the room. Don't go along with the flow. People are saying something, so you go along, don't. Don't. You want to fast next year? You want other people to get hurt? It's very dangerous. It's not worth it. Stand up. We're a great people, but there's a lot we can accomplish. You know, recently there was a lady, she was having a lot of guests on Chavez. Unfortunately, the hot water broke. She didn't have hot water. It's one thing that happens in the mountains, you can get upset at the owner. But it happens in your own house, you know what to yell at. So she quickly called ABC Plumbing. She calls up the guy, says, From guy, could you please come to my house? My, my hot water broke. The guy says, I'm so sorry. It, it, it's 1.30 hour Shabbos. I don't work 1.30 hour Shabbos. He says, please, I need... I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe call someone. I don't know what to tell you. She calls him back later. Five minutes later, she says, look, I'll pay you double. Please come. She says, I can't come. It's Shabbos, my me. I don't work every Shabbos. I can't. What should I do? She says, you know what? Call Chaveirim. Okay. She calls Chaveirim. Ten minutes later, a plumber shows up. Would you believe it? ABC Plumbing. The guy shows up. He starts to fix her thing. So she says, weren't you the guy I just spoke to 15 minutes ago? She says, yeah. She goes, I thought you don't work in Erev Shabbos. because I don't work in Erev Shabbos. So what are you doing here? He goes, chesed. Chesed, you do all the time. What kind of question is that? When he finishes, he wants to pay her. She wants to pay him. She says, I don't, I told you, I don't take money. I'll pay you double. He said, you, I don't take money for chesed. If this was work, I wouldn't come. Chesed, chesed, of course I come. So trying to think to myself, what, what, what category is this story? Is this, is this a, a betochen story? Is it covet Shabbos? Is it chesed? What type of story is this? The answer is, it's called your soul story. This is what we do. But we have to learn to do it not just when people are in need. We have to learn to do it when two people are sitting there and everything's good, just the guy is different than you in some sort of way, 
your job is to find something good into him. Not to wait until he needs the tire you know, change, and then, of course, you're there to do it. We need him when things are good. That's when Hashem is looking for us to happen. You know, there was a guy was driving his car. He got a fancy car, and he had to get something from a, not such a good neighborhood. So he goes inside, he parks his car, runs to the store, runs out, and he sees a kid all dressed in shattered clothing, torn clothing, staring at the car. So this guy, he's a nice guy, he turns to the, he goes, you like the car? He goes, yeah, it's a nice car. He says, it's a very expensive car. And the kid says, wow. And the guy says, you know how I got the car? And the kid says, no. He goes, the guy says, my brother bought it for me. And the kid says, wow, I wish. What do you think the kid said? He didn't say, I wish I had a brother like that. Amazing. The kid said, wow, I wish I could be a brother like that. And one day do something like that for my brother. And that's really how we have to be. We have to not walk around saying, I wish I can have a brother like that. We have to walk around saying, I wish I can be. I wish I can be a brother like that. So just end with one thing, with two things. Sometimes people think they don't have what to offer. A few years ago, the Belzer Rebbe's Balkair was nifter. Rishol Klein. He was a Balkair for the Belzer Rebbe for many years. And he was nifter. He had many children by the... By the, by the when he was sitting shiva... At the Shiva house, people were coming. At one time, somebody came in, and no one knew who he was. He was just sitting there. And as people were leaving, one of the people said, you knew our father? He says, yeah, I met your father. I met him once. He says, really? He goes, yeah, I met him once in Auschwitz. You met my father one in Auschwitz so many years ago? He goes, yeah. Let me tell you how I met him. He said, I was starving like everyone was, and I, I was going out of my mind. I was so hungry. And I was walking around, people, something, something to eat, please, something, something. And your father came over to me and he says, I don't have any food to give you, but there's something else I can give you. And he gave me a big hug. And he held me. And he said, Hashem loves me. And that's how I was able to continue to go. And now I have children and I have grandchildren. And it's thanks to your father. That's why I came here to Menachem Oval. He had nothing to give, but to a fellow Yid, you can always give a hug. And it's so important. We like to go over to people and we think we have to tell them what they're doing wrong, what they're doing wrong. We have to train ourselves to Teach them what they're doing right. Rav Chonav said, what's the difference between a housewife and a cat? Both of them chase mice. He said, the difference is the housewife doesn't want the mouse in the first place. And the cat wants there to be mice so he can chase them. Sometimes, you know, we're davening and someone's there talking. We're hoping that he continues talking so I can finish him in Esrei. He'll still talk so I can run over and tell him to stop talking. We have to train ourselves to look only for the good. How do you look for the good? You know, your brother's getting ready for a, for a chasna. You say, how do I look? You tell him, oh, your tie is crooked. So what does he tell you? Well, thank you very much. He fixes his tie. If your brother's standing there fixing himself up, he goes, how do I look? Uh, your nose is crooked. What am I supposed to... giving those messages, your nose is crooked messages. We're never supposed to do that. We can't have any sinaskinam. And if we want to go and make sure that we don't have this problem, we have to make sure we do that. So I just went with one thing. We heard, we know that every day a bastel comes out and says, Where are my children? Where are my children? Do we hear the do we hear that bascal? There's once a child in Yeshiva, he wasn't doing the right things and he had to be sent out. And they're warning him, they're warning him, but the reaches of time sometimes, sometimes dealing the fashes, but sometimes the child has to be sent out. And this bachel was sent out, and the manal made sure to keep up with him. He called him, he called him twice, and then life went on and he stopped calling him. Three and a half years, two and a half years later, he met him by a chasna. He sees this bacher. He looked good. 
It looked like a from good Geshmak of Akhar. And he went over to him, Shalom Aleichem, you remember me? Of course I remember you. You kicked me out of Yeshiva. He says, yeah, okay, but you, you look like it worked, like you're doing well. He says, yeah, because how did it work? How did it happen? So I'll tell you the truth. My Rebbe used to call me. He called me every week. That gave me so much chizik that my Rebbe cared about me. He called me every week. I decided he cares about me so much. I'm a person of value and I turned myself around. The Manal was very pleased to hear this. He's very excited. When he went back to Yeshiva, he went over to the Rebbe. He says, you know, I met this in his Bachar. So the Rebbe said, really, how's he doing? Because he's doing great. The Rebbe says, oh, Baruch Hashem. He says, you look surprised. He goes, yeah, I am surprised. He says, well, he said it's because of you. He says, what do you mean? He says, you call them every single week. And that's what gave him the chizik. Did you call him every single week? So the Rebbe looks and says, I'll tell you the truth, I did call him every single week. But not once did he answer the phone. Not once did he answer the phone. I didn't know what was going on with him. But that kid saw the caller ID. That kid saw that the Rebbe cared about him. And therefore, that caring about him is what got him to turn around. We too, there's a Basco Hashem sends out every day, calling us. Even if we don't hear the Basco, we should at least know that the Basco is there and Hashem is waiting for us to come home. Shizufeha, Shekhoi Reha, Ale Kailois, Mechoi Reha, Beis Rabu, Figoreha, 
מיאריקשס מגדיפה וסויך משכן חצריה עלי שמך אשר חולל מפיק עמי מציריה ואל תחן יצא וחולך כשויב ושמע אמוריה אלי ציון ואוריה כמו אישה וציריה וכסו לך הגור עסק אבל נעוריה You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.